Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League. Powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. So I know we're only two weeks into this season, but my God, has my uh, like off-season Ottawa-Buffalo propaganda looked really, really bad so far? Every single year, man. Every single year. It's going to feel so good going back and listening to the tape. We rewind the tape. Buffalo, and I said Buffalo and Ottawa would be terrible. What are they, 7th and 8th in the Atlantic? They're 7th and 8th. Right and I think now, that yeah. there's one team that we thought, or I think you had in your division rankings as well, that you said weren't going to be a division team, and they're currently leading the Atlantic. What team is that? Who's that? Might be the Boston Bruins. Oh, yeah. we won't. Well, that, that one you can talk about later. I don't even want to think about that one, because that, I still don't, I don't fully understand how they continue to do this, but we're going to start with the bad teams, because those are the more, I think, talking about bad teams, it's more, way more fun than talking about good teams, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. especially when a lot of the bad teams are least rivals. So let's just start there. We'll eventually get to the good teams, and I'll be able to eat my words a second time. Um, but let's just start with Ottawa, like you said. Okay, 3-4-0. <laughs> they're tied for last in the Atlantic with Buffalo. <laughs> oh, I mean, with, with Buffalo. They're tied. Yeah, they're tied. They're tied. They're, they're going through it together like brothers. How does it feel? Why, why did you not expect this, and do you think it's going to continue? I mean, I didn't expect this because they're just they're they're regardless of whether or not people think they're a playoff team, they're better than this on paper. Like they are better than this on paper. And I also honestly, when it comes down to it, I expect them to get a save this year. And and shocker, they still can't buy a save because we'll talk about it. Like Corsell has been pretty brutal to start. Um, I mean, it, it at the end of the day, it's only seven games, and they're still just under five hundred. So, I mean, it's nothing to get too, too concerned about yet. But when I think about, like, the teams that they've played and the losses that they've had, like, they lost to Buffalo and the Islanders in their last two games. So those are both games at the end of the year you can come back and look at and say, if we would have won those, if we would have got an extra point, because those are two teams that are going to be battling for a wild card spot with, those are four points that can come back and buy you at the end of the year. So even though it's early, like, losing those types of games, is not ideal. Well, yeah, like a point now and a point later on in the season both count for a point. a point. But something, I want you to elaborate on this because I want you to take the reins when we talk about Buffalo and, and Ottawa here because when we were talking about uh, in our previous episodes where I said they were going to be bad, you were saying they were going to be good. I was hoping that I was wrong because the NHL is better when the Ottawa Senators are better. Like the, the market, the, for the longest time, I remember growing up, the Leafs and the Ottawa Senators were a huge rivalry. We hated mm-hmm. playing each other. I remember watching the Leafs play Danny Heatley and Alfredson. It, it was fun to watch. And now, over the last five, six years, it hasn't been fun because they've been bad. I was hoping that this year it would be different. And it currently hasn't been. You said that they're better than this on paper. They're 3-4-0. Yeah. Last year, they were 39-5-8. and, and eight. They were a 500 team last year. They're a 500 team now. What's different about them on paper this year that makes you think they're better? Because they got Chikorin. They yeah. lost to Brinkett. Are they not net zero from where they were last year? Well, I, I guess if you look at it on paper, like players in, players out, there's not too much difference, but they're all young. So I thought they would have got better as a result. Mm-hmm. Tim, Tim Stutzla was a 90-what point player last year. He's had a pretty good start, seven points in eight games. Like He's still going to be on pace to put up near 100 points if he continues to 
if he steps his game up a little more. So he's eight points in seven games. He's already above a point a game. He's kind of where he left off. Tarasenko is the same, eight points in seven games. He seems like he's been a good deal so far. Norris came back from injury, and he hasn't missed a beat. He's scored a few goals. He's almost a point a game. Sandstrom and Chikrin are, sorry, Sanderson and Chikrin are both um, providing great offense from the back end. They have players. Um, I thought it would change. I mentioned it before. I thought it would change because they went out and got a goalie in the offseason who had a good season last year on a on on a bad team. He didn't play for LA the whole year. He played for Columbus. On Columbus, he had a really great season. That's why LA wanted to go get him. So I figured, okay, they got a good goalie. We had a good season in front of a not-so-great team. Like Maybe they'll finally get the saves they've been looking for ever since they tried to sign Matt Murray, what was it, four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, and it just hasn't happened. Isn't it kind of funny that the Ottawa Senators have been looking for a save for a while, like you said, and traded away? What's his name? Philip Gustafson? Gustafson. And he, was, he started off the season with, what, a 43 or 44 save shutout. Recently, he hasn't yeah. been as good. I just looked up his stats. He's got a sub-900 save percentage. But the Minnesota Wild are also a bad hockey team. Over his career, he's a 264, 917. Like he's, 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 really he's a bonafide good. starter in he's the NHL. Really and, yeah, I guess Ottawa's just not as good as picking prospects, keeping prospects as we thought. Yeah, I mean, when you, I, I also think it's early, but I think DJ Smith, even dating back to last year, I mean, they're already chanting for him to get fired. Like last game, they've been they were fired. DJ Smith chants going on in in um, <laughs> their arena, Canadian Tire Center, I think it's called. Um, like, I think Philip Gustafson is playing a lot better than Corpusalo or Ken Talbot or Sogard or Matt Murray, like ex goalie, because they Minnesota plays a a really strong defensive system compared to compared to um, the Sens. It's it's no secret that they give up a ton of high danger chances, even though their decor on paper is really really good. They like they just don't play defense well as a team, and at a certain point that comes down to systems. That comes down to what the coach is preaching. Yes, maybe the players on that team. You could argue like players on any team aren't good at playing defense, but. If you put any group of players into a good system and get them to buy in, you're going to be able to play defense. Defense is a lot more about, I think, a willingness to play it than it is skill. Like Obviously, you have to be smart. You have to be good at making defensive plays. But systems-wise and teams-wise, if you can just put your players in a position to succeed defensively, you're going to, get, you're going to be good. You're going to be better. And you're going to not force your goalie to face 1,000 high-danger chances a night. Yeah. And as a result, they're going to be making the saves they should, and they're going to beef up their save percentage. So the question is, is it too late? Is it is it too early to count the Ottawa Senators out of a playoff spot in the Atlantic? Where teams, yeah, yeah you, do you still think they're a playoff team? You stand on that? I do. I think they're still a playoff team. I mean, we'll talk about this team later, too. But I don't think the Wings are a division team. I agree. Um, I think there's still room for them to like, have a fight, especially for a wild card spot. Like, Things can change so much. We're only seven games in. They win two games, and now they're above 500. Like it's, just, it's so early, but there are definitely some trends that you can already see that aren't so great unless they wake up. Yeah, and it's like you said, too. There's teams that... So when you're a playoff team, it comes to a point where when you do not beat a team that is a non-playoff team, like there needs to be some accountability. I'm looking at their schedule. They're not able to beat Detroit. They're not able to beat Buffalo. They're not able to beat New York. Got hammered in most of those games. They, they, they hammer Washington, which is good. They lose to Carolina. You'll take that loss against Carolina. But when you play Detroit, Buffalo, and you, uh, the Islanders, as a, as a playoff team, you've got to expect to get five out of six points on a night like that. And when they walk away with zero, like that's a problem. Yeah, and the Wings, too, count them into that group of teams they'll be competing for a playoff spot yeah. with. Like, 
those are th- those are three wild card fringe teams, and they they can get a single point. That's like, you know, 0 for six is not a good look to start this season. And now they lose Thomas Shabbat for what? Yeah, two to th- four two, to six weeks. Four to six weeks. Wow, I, he fractured something. I forget what it is. But four yeah. to six weeks. Zub is already out, and and Brandstrom took a pretty nasty hit the other day. He was like knocked out cold on the ice. Who knows how long he's going to be out for? I would say probably a couple of weeks out best. Yeah, and out, out of the three core defensemen there that are Sanderson, Chikorin, Shabbat, I would say losing Shabbat's the worst one out of the three, just because if you lose Sanderson or Chikorin, those are more offensive type guys, and one can you know make up for the other. Shabbat's still good offensively, but Shabbat's a more underrated defensive defenseman, and when that guy goes down, the Ottawa Senators are already kind of tough defensively. Yeah. They might get exposed pretty soon. It's just not a. It's just not a good time to be an Ottawa Senators fan. Yeah, he was on the first pair with, with Sanderson, and now you don't have Zub to step up there anymore. Like, like I look, I took a look at their their, their daily faceoff yesterday. On their right side, and they hadn't even Shabbat hadn't been out yet, so he was still there. But then it was it was Travis Hamnick and Bernard Docker. Bernard Docker got waived before the season started, so obviously they don't have a ton of faith in him. So I, I'm curious to see how they're gonna set up. Maybe they move Chicken up now to play on the top pair with Sanderson but then that leaves you pretty weak on your bottom two pairs so I mean having a having a uh, an injury crisis on defense this early into the year when you're already playing poor defensively is definitely not something to get excited about I no, mean I agree um they're gonna their their depth is gonna be tested and I don't have a ton of faith in it I agree. I don't want to make assertions too early too prematurely but I am gonna say it's too I, I think it's what I will say is I don't think it's too early to say the Ottawa Senators are not a playoff team just because I didn't think they were a playoff team to be mm-hmm. to begin with. And I don't want to say, like, I told you so. Again, I want the Ottawa Senators to be good. You what, can say it. Uh, what's funny is that for, for all the Leafs fans that are listening to us, a bit of a tangent, there was a cool thing that um, Leafs TikTok did where they asked Leafs fans what their, sorry, Leafs players what their favorite rivalry was growing up. Mm-hmm. And I expected them all to say Boston. I expected them all to say Montreal. An overwhelming number of them said Ottawa versus yeah. Toronto because growing up, it was a crazy rivalry. And it, like the point is, it's be- Ottawa, the NHL is better when Ottawa is a good team. But I'm going to say it's pre- not premature to say they're not a playoff team just because, and we'll talk about it soon. The Boston Bruins are a division team again. The Detroit Red Wings look like they're going to be competing for a playoff spot again. It looks like Toronto and Tampa are still are going to win the are going to be in the division as well. And when you look at it, we already thought it was going to be difficult for these two for Buffalo and Ottawa to make the yeah. playoffs in a situation where it was tough to to make a wild card spot just because those metropolitan teams were good. Now you throw Detroit into the mix, it's not looking good, man. And I know yeah, it's still early. I, like it's not too early to say Ottawa will be better than Detroit. But if it was already hard for Ottawa to make the playoffs, where you're competing with like the Rangers and like, the Penguins, and now you got to throw in Detroit into the mix, it's gonna be tough. Like I was banking on not only not only Boston being a lot worse, but I was banking on both of these teams, Buffalo and Ottawa, to be better. And they're like right now not better. They're hovering around maybe where they were last year, if not a little worse. Yeah. So. When one thing doesn't go your way, you got you have to get that much better, and, and they haven't had that start. So what's what's missing for the Ottawa Senators? Is it a coaching thing? Is it a defensive thing? Like, because you look at this team, and I agree, they're deep. Like defense. When you look at a team, and you go, they have a guy who can put up a hundred points in Timothy Stutz. So they have a good captain who can put up eighty in in Brady Kachuk. They have a deep top six. Like you convinced me last yeah, episode that top the top six. the top six is one of the deeper top sixes in the league. They have good primary secondary scoring. You look at it defensively, fine. Their six defensemen, in terms of depth, aren't great. But when you got three 
workhorses putting up 25, 26 minutes a night. Like you like your chances. Mm-hmm. Corposalo maybe hasn't been great, but there's nothing I look at at this team and go, that's the glaring hole that needs to be fixed. I don't know. What is it? I think a lot of it will come down to systems. Like they're, they're giving up a ton of chances. Corposalo has been really bad. Up, Like I have a stat here among the goalies that have played four games he's fifth worst in saves above expected per game is a negative 0.7 saves above expected per game so he's almost like letting a goal in per game based on what he should be saving which is which is not good um but that can come out of the system sometimes you just need some even if it's not the system like dj smith has been there for a few years sometimes you just need even if dj smith did nothing wrong there's something to be said about coaches that can take you from the basement to content to like playoff contention and that's all they can do mm-hmm. and there's other coaches who can take a team that's ready to take that next step and and get them to take it and that's fine because it, it's really hard to get a team from the basement to the middle of the pack and it's just as hard to get a team from the middle of the pack to like in the playoffs and contention like and some coaches have skill sets that that are good for either of those tasks and i think dj smith is is not the coach to take him to the next level obviously because they've been trying for a few years while he's been there and they just haven't been able to do it. I agree. And if we look at the DJ Smith era, I, I would say overall it's been pretty successful. Like on yeah. paper, you look at it and find they're a very below average team in terms of like their ability to get points. But when you're when you're in the basement, like you said, you're looking to develop players. Stutzla has been probably one of the best third overall picks in a very long time. Mm-hmm. He was third overall, right? Thank you, Mr. One of the best third overall picks in a very long time. Brady Kachuk has developed into a very elite player. You look at Shabbat and Sanderson, they've developed into elite players as well. DJ Smith, I think, has shown um, that he can. you can credibly say that he's one of the better developmental coaches in the NHL. Hmm. And, and you're right. Maybe it's time for someone else to take the reins. But I, I think it's a little mean to be booing DJ Smith just because if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, you're going, wow, he set us up. We have a bunch of good guys on this team that are ready to take us to the next level. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's time to bring in a guy who can get, give this team a new push. Yeah. I wonder if it's like in the locker room too. It's it's very stagnant where they look at DJ Smith and the and the aura in the room and they go, are we a winning team? You yeah. bring in a new guy and it changes the culture. You get For a few sure. wins and something changes. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that could definitely work. Like maybe he's just limited tactically or he's not comfortable making the tweaks that maybe they need to make. And somebody else who who's not DJ Smith, would maybe feel comfortable making the changes that need to be made. I think when I've been listening to like the radio or like reading reading articles from people who follow Ottawa a little more closely, I think also their depth is a bit of an issue. I mean, it, doesn't, it obviously doesn't help that now Shane Pinto can't play pretty much until January at best. Um, but then, yeah, like Rid- Ridley Gregg is a good young player, but he's probably shouldn't be on their third line. Um, I don't even know, like, I don't even recognize the names of some of the third and fourth line players. Like, I think maybe, you know, if their depth in their top six is good, maybe they just don't have that supporting cast down low and not down low in the lineup. I mean, and from a third and fourth line, when your top six is that good, you're not you're not looking for them to be to to score goals, but maybe looking for them to be a little bit more reliable. And the players who are there just aren't. And so maybe organizational depth is is something that they need to improve on. I mean, I remember when the Leafs were slowly starting to become a lot better. Their third and fourth lines for a long time were pretty, pretty garbage. Yeah. <laughs> and then as you get better, as you can convince players to sign for you, as you make trades, as you draft, like eventually you're gonna find players that'll fill in the bottom six. But mm-hmm. maybe they're just at that point in their development right now. And like I said, it doesn't help. Um, Champagne does suspended for 41 games for violating NHL betting policies. I mean, we don't know much, so there's not much to comment on. But from what we do know, 
he didn't bet on NHL games personally. There was some mention of a, a third party. Who knows what that means? That could mean anything, but regardless of what it means, he's not going to be there until January at best. He's going to probably get fleeced on his contract extension now, but that's tough. I mean, there they were signs that he was going to come back fairly soon. They were going to get it. I think he was with the team. Mm-hmm. And then he left pretty like randomly, and then it comes out a few days later that he got suspended. So, I mean... Yeah, apart from, and it's impossible to do, but when you separate Shane Pinto as a hockey player and now him getting suspended, he was a huge source of depth for that yeah, team. Like what, goals last year as a third line center, right? Yeah. And I mean, like like you said, and if they have a pro- for some of the season, but they have a problem on their bottom six. Like Shane Pinto fixes that, and now you know he's a good source of secondary scoring, especially on that second power play. If you were an Ottawa Senators fan, you were excited for him to come back, just because, like you said, depth was a problem, and now not having him for a long time. The Ottawa Senators are in a difficult spot right now. They didn't get off to the start that they wanted. They don't have depth. It's it's tough, and I I, I hope it changes. It just doesn't look good. Yeah, I I think honestly, if we're gonna move on to Buffalo, I feel like Buffalo is almost in a bit of a worse spot. Like maybe not because they're not as injured and they don't have players missing for an extended period of time, but but they're three five and zero, oh, tied for last in the Atlantic. Um, I mean, it just hasn't been great. Devin Levi so far is an eight ninety two. You know, he's young. That's not great. It's not terrible. Like, I'm sure he'll eventually um, find it. I, I hope he finds it when he comes back from injury. That's not NHL starting goalie no. caliber, though. That's not what you need, especially when you're, like... I mean, these teams on the bubble, like, if if there's, like, five or six teams that are on the bubble for a, for a wild card spot, like, you can probably say their on-ice talent is relatively equal. Yeah. And it'll probably be the team with the best goalie. Fair. That makes it out of that group. I mean, it's maybe why the Islanders get there every year. Yeah, for Ottawa and for Buffalo, their goalies, who they're, who they were, those were big pieces coming into the season that they were going to rely upon. Ottawa was like, we got Corpusala, we're going to get saves. He's proven in the playoffs. Played for LA, played great for Columbus. He's great. Buffalo saying Devin Levi's this young stud. He's going to come in. He's going to provide great goaltending for us. Again, it's early, but he hasn't been able to do that just yet. Um, he hasn't <clears> had a full season under his belt, though, no, right? But they were like relying on him to carry them like that would that's not um an inaccurate statement that they were banking on him to be really good for them um, and it do- and also doesn't help when they're just like, not producing offense the way they used to i know that, that's what they rely on as yeah. well given rasmus delin is looking like his former so he got off to a little bit of a rough start but he's playing really yeah. well again again like this, this is just another team where they they needed to get off to a good start when the, you have these teams that are on the bubble in the way that they are it's very difficult for them to start off the season below average and then claw their way back because these teams mm-hmm. just aren't good enough to go eight and one down down a stretch, yeah. right? If teams like the Boston Bruins or the, I don't want to throw the Leafs in there, but I'll throw in the Tampa Bay Lightning, teams like that are like the Carolina Hurricanes. They start off the season three and five. You know, these teams have the capability to go on three or four stretches mm-hmm. in the year where they're five and one, five and one. Are you able to say that the, the Tampa Bay, sorry, the Boston, oh my gosh, Lost for words. The Buffalo Sabres are able to go 5-0 twice. Pro- it's tough. Probably It'll be tough for them. Probably not. Here's a, here's a good question. From an outside perspective with no bias, what team is under more pressure to make the playoffs this year? Is it the Ottawa Senators or is it the Buffalo Sabres? Ottawa for sure. Two, two years ago, Pierre Dorian came out and said the rebuild's over. We're ready to contend. I think they finished third last that year or something like that, bottom five. Last year, again, they were getting ready to take a step and Granted, they weren't in the basement, but they missed by six points, which is you know a sign of progress. But this year coming in, after building all that much, after giving everybody those huge deals, after signing another goalie, 
think you have you need to have something to show for that. And if they miss the playoffs, I think I think Pierre Duran's gonna get fired for sure if they miss the playoffs. He might get fired if they make it because now the new owner, Michael Ann Lowers, seems to be willing to shuffle things around. I think DJ Smith is gonna be fired for sure if they don't make the playoffs. Like there are gonna be significant repercussions for the management and the coaching staff, maybe even some players if they don't make it because They've set themselves up where they've given money away. They've had progress and they've been waiting, waiting, waiting. And eventually, if you don't break through that door, like, people are going to start giving up on you. So they have to make it this year, I think. I agree. So if the Buffalo Sabres don't make the playoffs this year, is, is Granado staying or do you think he's also on the hot seat? Mm. It seems like Buffalo Sabres fans overwhelmingly like him as a coach. Yeah, I think he like, brings good vibes. Like There's something to be said about that too. Last year, did he, he, did he come in midseason last year or was it the season before? Good guy. I Either think way, regardless, I think when he when he took over, they had a surge in performance. Everyone was feeling good. He kind of almost single handedly allowed Tage Thompson to become the player that he is. He was sort of the coach when he when he, when he popped off last year. Dylan Cousins became a really good second line center under him. Mm-hmm. Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, you know, Berlin, Owen Power, all these guys have sort of come up with him over the last last season and a half, let's say. So I think they're like maybe a year or two behind the centers in terms of like their i don't know like their calendar of like whenever they want to be good like expectations expectations yeah. yeah like they've been they've been good for a season they've been supposed to be good for a season the auto centers have they were supposed to be good for the past three seasons they haven't been so they have a little more leeway um and equally i'll ask you the same question for the buffalo sabers as i did for the ottawa senators what's missing for them because i you convinced me about depth for the ottawa senators is it the same thing I, I do no, I think Buffalo's depth is definitely not where the Senators are in terms of depth in their top six, but I think um, they're just not creating offense. And I, I was reading an article saying that you know the, the Sabres want to focus a lot more on defense this this season, so coming into the season that was their priority. Um, but it's probably gone a little too far the other way because they sit near the bottom. I think they're 29th in the league in high danger chances per game. Wow. Um, Tuck and Tage Thompson have both had relatively slow starts for their standards. Like Tuck has a one goal and four points in eight games, and Tage has four goals in eight games, but only five points when he was like a ninety-point player last season. They definitely need more out of them. Yeah. Um, it's just not but good enough. I will safely bet and and put faith in Tage Thompson and Alex Tuck finding their scoring touch again. Um, and with their decor actually being healthy, I've got a lot more faith in their decor than I have in Ottawa's decor now. I think if there's either of the two teams that are likely to bounce back, let's say over the next, between this episode and the next episode, I would expect Buffalo to be in a better position than the Sens are. Um, If we come back and the Sens are alone in the bottom of the division, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be very surprised if the Buffalo Sabres are still there. I agree. Anything else to add on those two teams before we move out west to the dumpster fire that's Alberta, Canada right now? Wait, maybe we should round out the Atlantic before we finish. Oh, no, okay. we're, doing, we're doing bad teams. Doing bad I, teams I agree. Right okay, let's go there. That'll be yeah, fun. We're just going to get increasingly negative, and then we're going to build everybody back <laughs> up. So stay with us. This Oilers, is going to be fun. Flames, I mean, I, I don't even know where to start because they both suck. Let's start with the Oilers because this is a team we didn't expect to suck. Yeah. And they really this, suck. This is a fun one. Like, What are they, 1-5-1 one, and one to start one, off five the year? 1-5-1 and one with a minus 13 goal difference already. They look dysfunctional this are the edmonton oilers they're a hundred percent not a contending team without Connor mcdavid and you know i don't think that's a slight against any team when you take away a top five player of all time maybe the best skilled player of all time and unarguably the best player in the league right now off of a team you wouldn't you would expect them to no longer be a contender just because he takes so much of a cap hit up so we won't hold that against them 
but are the Edmonton Oilers a playoff team without Connor McDavid? On paper, they absolutely should be. But in practice, you're fair to ask that question because it, even with them this season, they've looked terrible. Take them off that team. They've lost two in a row, I think, without them. They're 19, 24, and 9 career without Connor McDavid all yeah. time, obviously, well, since go. he started. The team is just filled with a bunch of overhyped players. We're talking about guys like Darnell Nurse, quite possibly the most the worst contract in the NHL. It's him, it's him or Seth Jones. The second worst, worst contract in the NHL past those guys is Jack Campbell. Evander Kane has been so bad this series at three points in seven games that he's been benched and he's been speaking outwardly about it. Did you see that interview mm-hmm. he had where he's like, I mean, I'm not, not getting minutes. I might as well fight somebody. The team just looks like from face value on the ice that they're bad and filled with overrated players. Inside the dressing room, it looks dysfunctional as well. And it gets even worse. I sent you that tweet a couple days ago where it's, it, it, it could have been fake. But apparently, Connor McDavid is not very happy with the direction that the organization is going. And apparently, if big, thing, big changes aren't being made, he says he might want out. And granted, the sources aren't extremely reputable. But I've been seeing it more and more and more from different newspapers in Edmonton. I'm not just making that up. Like, I, I was very curious about it because the first thing you think about it as a Leafs fan is you're going, oh my gosh, 97's coming home. So I looked it up and apparently a lot of sources are saying he is not happy with the direction of the team. And would you be happy with the direction of this team? They're not built to win a Stanley Cup. Like, they're just not. I, I wouldn't be. But I, I, if I was Connor McDavid, I wouldn't be ready to give up just yet either because they made really? a conference finals. They made a second round. Like, it's not like the Leafs where, like, you know, you choke in the first round every year and then you make it past one first round and then you get basically swept like it hasn't been that dire there but i agree that they've been knocking on the door for a while and they just they haven't seemed to take what you would what you would need to be to take that next step my problem with that is is i agree if you're looking at it you go player x shouldn't give up on this team because they've made a conference finals in the second round they're clearly good enough to win the issue is they did that because Connor McDavid put them on his back. I remember and that year he had he had and right sidled as well, but he didn't he have like one of the best playoffs of yeah, all time that year they made the conference finals. Yeah. He was insane to the point where if you took Connor McDavid off of that team, they wouldn't have made it past the first round because that was well, the year that they beat yeah. the Kings in seven, yes. right? Yes. I mean, how do you not give up on that team when you realize I am the reason this team is there? If I go to any other team, presumably the same expectations would be there and I'd maybe have some help on a team that looks like they're built to win. Like we say this all the time and you you just brought it up too. Teams that are on the bubble, you need goaltending in order to be able to make the playoffs. Right now, the Edmonton Oilers are on the bubble and even if you want to call them a contender, you need goaltending to win you games and they have arguably the worst goaltending tandem in the NHL. They do, like statistically... I was, so I was mentioning how um, Corpusalo's bottom five in the league and goal save above expected per game. Skinner is second last and Campbell is seventh last. Like, yeah, they can't they 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 can't buy a save. But it's it's funny though because like the stats will tell you that Campbell is playing terrible and Skinner is playing terrible. But I've heard on the radio on multiple different occasions from like people who are doing commentary on that team or like they'll watch them because like it's their job to watch hockey i can't watch every game but i'll take their word for it but there are some games that apparently campbell is making like five or six incredible saves because he made he made five or six saves on 15 high danger chances again so he's getting peppered 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 he's gonna he's gonna make a couple of unbelievable saves but like you can't expect the goalie to save 100 of the high danger chances and if you're giving up a ton of them you're gonna get scored on and they've been they've gotten lit up a bunch of they have 30 goals against in seven games. Well, 
it makes sense defensively on paper, apart from Matthias Ekholm, they're terrible. Yeah. And offensively, is there a single good off defensive forward on that team? Because maybe Ryan Zach Hyman. Maybe Ryan Nugent Hopkins, yeah. bad defensively. Yeah. Leon Dreitseidel, really bad defensively. Connor McDavid, <laughs> slightly average defensively. Evander Kane, oh. terrible defensively. I, I think Kyler Yamamoto still on that He's team. He's not there anymore. He's not there I don't anymore. Even know who rounds up the top Puyarvi six? Right isn't now. on that team anymore. Yeah. Regardless, they're bad defensively. And yeah. if we're gonna say Zach Hyman is the only responsible defensive forward in the on, on that team, like you're looking for a winger who plays 18 minutes a night to help you defensively, this team no wonder has to win six five in yeah. order to win games. And when the guy who puts up 150 points isn't there anymore, you're not winning six five. That's why I really think this team without Connor McDavid is not a playoff team defensively. They're really bad and. Offensively, they are not good enough without a hundred and without two hundred and fifty point players yeah. to beat Team Six Five. It's true. Like it, it's embarrassing to say that we have two guys on this team who are projected to put up a hundred and forty plus points, and we are getting hammered because defensively we're really bad. Like Darnell Nurse is is He's really bad. It's really really bad. And like I hate to say, I really like Darnell Nurse as I was watching the Edmonton Oilers. He used to be really good on that PP one. I don't know what happened. And though. he has fallen off of a cliff. Like. Cody Cece is terrible. Yeah, who is. else? Who else is on that team defensively? We're looking at I Matthias Ekholm wasn't bad. Evan Bouchard is good offensively. Terrible defensively. defensively. There's, there's two more defensemen I can't remember I, I, right now. I think is that guy Deharnay is one of them. Maybe. Maybe. Sure. I, I don't know who their sixth guy and is. Is Bear there still? I don't think so. Either way, like the fact that we can't name them is exactly what we're trying to say. They're, they're not great. Yeah, I, I genuinely do not think they're a playoff maybe, team. Maybe right Kulak. Brett Kulak is still there. I think. <laughs> He's okay, but he's he's Brett Kulak. Are we, be are we looking Norris. at Brett Kulak to be able to shut down top pairing forward? No, like, no, that's not what he's there for. He's like reliable depth defenseman. He's he's good at his job, but like like you said, that that's not that's not enough to to win you games or to move the needle for you. And you said that they typically like last season they they're gonna they would win some of these games seven six, and maybe they have like a three and three record, and we're not really too concerned. But they've scored less than two goals. So two goals or less in four out of their four out of their six games so far. I wonder why, because those games have been played without Connor McDavid. Even even when he was healthy, he had a like for his standards a slow start to the season. Yeah, and so like you, it's usually what happens is oh they're really bad defensively, but we won't really pay attention to it because they're winning. But now, now your offense is bad, and people are really zeroing in on the fact that you can't play defense as a team, and your goalies are giving you saves, but they're probably like. <laughs> not jesus christ so you're you're getting scored on a lot yeah and these goalies like you're saying are getting aired out by extremely yeah. bad defensive play yeah is there a single team in the nhl that is more reliant on their top player than the edmonton oilers like, probably not, probably not. And I mean, you, like you pay these guys to be reliant yeah. on them like the the can't toronto maple leafs pardon can't blame them for relying on mcdavid but yes i, I agree the toronto maple leafs are worse without austin matthews the uh, Colorado Avalanche are worse without Nathan McKinnon. But those two teams, without those guys, are still making the playoffs. Yeah. Without them playing 50 games, you would expo- still expect them to be a division team, You're right? right about that. The Edmonton Oilers, if Connor McDavid misses half the year, are we worried that they don't make the playoffs? Like, they might not be a well Probably. Team. If the rest of the Pacific wasn't garbage, I would be very concerned. Yeah, because on paper, they are not good enough. And yeah, yeah you look at this team and you go, Leon Dreitzel is a top three player in the NHL. But the issue is they are so bad defensively. You need two of the top five players in the league just to have a chance to win games because your goalies are terrible. Defensively, you're bad. And offensively, you're so poor defensively. I would love to know the stats on what team is giving up the most goals per game this year because Edmonton has to be up there. I think they're up there. 
they're 30 goals against in seven games. I don't know the math on that. That's like a four between four and five. Yeah, you right? do not. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure yeah. the average team does not score four goals a game. Yeah, like if you're letting in four goals a game, like you're not going to win most games. <laughs> like it's just simply, even if you have the two best players in the world, it's just tough to score five goals a game. Even, even if that's the norm for them, like it's just not something you can count on. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is an interesting situation. Like, I feel like this team is like a week or two away of bad results for, away from imploding. Do you think, let's just say that they continue like this and let's say they, they go one for three in their next two game, like the next four games and they lose the Heritage Classic. This is going to come out after the Heritage Classic, so this might be out of date. We're recording Saturday morning. But let's just say their next week and a half, let's say two weeks till the next time we record, it goes along a similar path. Is Woodcroft gone? Like, what do you think they're gonna do? I just don't think Jay Woodcroft is the problem. I remember who was the guy that was there la- that before him. I, I, I Hitchcock. Can... Hit no. Oh my gosh, I'm. Oh, I can't oh, remember. McClellan? No, there was. I can't remember. There was. I can put the face to it. I can't put the wasn't name McClellan? to it. It, it was. McClellan? It wasn't McLennan. I can't remember who it was. But regardless, when Jay Woodcroft came in, that team was elevated to a different level. Yeah, they they made conference finals under him, and there's something to be said. Like I know a lot of guys. You know, and sometimes I say this as well. Oh, you can let me coach these teams and we'd be good enough to win. There's something to be said about getting top players to buy into a system. And he clearly has done that. And he's brought in a team that is double A caliber defensively. Like he's brought in that team to a conference. Now. There's an element of coaching that is there. I really just don't think you can attribute to them losing no. to Jay Woodcroft because they're getting exposed now for the team that they are. This team is relying on two guys to get you five ga- five goals a game. And and you're gonna give up five five goals against, and now that he's not there, what would you like Jay Woodcroft to do? Like he's playing the cards that he's dealt. No, I yeah, I don't I don't think Jay Woodcroft is the, is at fault either. But sometimes when GMs are in tough spots or owners are in tough spots, it's like okay, we, something's got to give, and like the coach is easiest guy to fire. Do you think it'll ever come to that with this team, where it's like we got to change something? We we can't trade or we can't trade the guys we have because either they're the best in the world or nobody wants them because their contract sucks. Do you think there comes a point where it's like, okay, Jay, sorry, like we gotta, you gotta go now. We gotta try something. Like possibly, but if they do that, they're going to be worse. So I wonder if they do do it. There's just no coach right now that's available in yeah. the NHL that is better than Jake Woodcroft. I think he's a good coach, and it seems like Connor McDavid likes him. And if there's anything, that's true, yeah, and if there's any truth to the to the hearsay rumors that he doesn't like the direction of this team, firing him would make Connor McDavid say, "I'm gone." So that's true. Yeah, I mean. We're going to take a brief minute to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Crane Apparel. Brought to life in 2016, Crane Apparel is a local Toronto clothing brand which aims to represent long life, good fortune, love, and luck through all of their premium pieces. Built upon their mission of instilling honorable virtues and creating a positive culture, Crane Apparel's simple yet high quality clothing ensure that you feel both confident and fly while sporting their apparel. From graphic tees, track suits, and handcrafted varsity jackets to trucker hats and high quality chains, Crane Apparel has everything to support your fashion needs. To get your merch and stay up to date with new drops, check out Crane Apparel on Instagram or visit their website at thecraneapparel.com. Inspire, motivate, create. Stay fly and join the Crane family today. Let's it let's is, go a little bit south in Alberta, then to Calgary, <laughs> where like situation I wouldn't say is much better. Uh, they're two five and one. They lost four in a row heading into tomorrow's game, the Heritage Classic. 
I mean, that just like they were they were two one and one, I guess, to start the season. Now they've lost four in a row. Like, just goes to show how much a week or two can do. Um, they also so we didn't even mention this. Like we talked a little bit about how bad the Oilers' offense have been. Seventeen goals in seven games is not good for that team. That's less than three goals a game. They need to be scoring more than that to win. The Flames have seventeen goals in eight games. Offense is even worse. That's like just a hair above two goals a game. And that's not good enough. What was the expectation for the Flames coming into this season, though? Genuinely. My my expectation for them was to be at best battling the Kings for third in the Pacific. And what I really expected for them was to be a wild card team. So we're mad. We're disappointed if they miss the playoffs, is what I'm saying. If I was a Calgary fan, I would be, yeah. They're pretty bad, and on paper, <laughs> yeah, I mean, on paper, they're also not good, and they're relying on a guy who's making what eleven point five or eleven point two five million, who put up a hundred and fifteen points two years ago, and you traded him for quite honestly a top seven player in the NHL right now. They were look, you're looking at that guy to give you a floor of ninety points for you to have yeah. any chance to be a wild card team. Jonathan Huberto last year was so bad and we attributed to you know a new system he's an offensive forward he was playing under Daryl Sutter everything was there for him to be bad you know you're moving from Florida to Calgary it's a difficult scenario to be in he even talked about like last year he had lost his passion to come to the rink I, I remember him saying that it's like Ryan O'Reilly levels in it's, Buffalo it's really bad and now you're going okay new coach clean slate maybe Jonathan Huberto yeah. puts up what if you're hoping that he puts up 90 points I think he has two points this year. Like what four and eight. Four and eight is on pace for like if my math is right, exactly forty one points. Brutal. Is that on a point per cap hit the worst contract in the NHL? Probably for Monk forwards, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then when you when you also add in the fact that he is the worst defensive forward in the NHL, this contract is like really, really bad. Like it's, it's looking bad. Really it's one fast. it's one of these Mark Edward Vlasic contracts, and we'll talk about it soon where you go. He is so bad that he's stopping us from rebuilding. Yeah. But like, <laughs> and he's also stopping us from making the playoffs. Like, it works terribly both ways. Yeah, it's brutal. Like, let me just like run. So they have eight games played. Everyone and their mother is putting over a point a game this season, except for the Flames. Their highest point score is six. Lindholm is six. Huberto is four and eight. Kadri has one point in eight games. Who Kadri. Saw Who saw that coming? Not Brad Tree Living. <laughs> When he signed that deal, that's for sure. That's shocking. Shocking. They gave up, what, $17 million in cap space to those two guys last yeah. year for a combined eight years. And they've combined put up five points in, what, 16 <laughs> games between the two of them. Yeah. That team is just not a, that is just not a recipe to win hockey games. No, it's not. It's not. I mean, like even like last year, you could blame everything on Sutter and you could blame it on Markstrom being really bad. He was at 906 this year. Like, that's not, that's average. Yeah, that's good. He's he's not been the problem. Like, and and I stand by the claim that Sutter needed to go last year. It was clear to everybody who was like following hockey at all that he was a huge part of the problem. But now I think it's maybe starting to be made pretty clear that the players had maybe a little more blame than we thought. Like maybe this team is just simply not good enough. Like new GM, new coach, you're cleaning the slate, starting fresh, and this team just still can't seem to figure it out. On paper, they're bad. It's not even about figuring it out. They're just not good enough. Elias Lindholm had one career year where he put up, what, 90 points and 40 goals. He was goals. really good that year. He's fallen back to earth. 
Nazem Kadri had one career year on the best power play of all time with McKinnon and McCarver. He put up 100 points. Everyone expected him to fall back to earth. Jonathan Huberto, granted, he has been a 100-point player for a large majority of his career, but he's entering the era of his career where it's not uncommon for these types of players to fall off a cliff. He's falling off the cliff a little bit earlier than what you would expect. But like what I'm trying to say is, when you look at the depth chart of the Calgary Flames, it might not be that they're underperforming. It might just be that the expectations for this team were absurdly high for no reason. Mm. Nobody expected Nazem Kadri to be a point-per-game player on the Calgary Flames. And last year, he put up what? I'm going to guess between 65 and 70 points. And you'll take that for a guy that makes, I think he's making seven and seven, a half, some seven, seven million. You know, a bad year for this type of player, an aging player, is a 40-50 point year. And it looks like that's what he's going to put up. But 40-50 points, when you look at Nazem Kadri, you don't go, wow, that is terrible. You're just looking at it like, ah, it's a little bit worse than what we would expect. But when you're expecting and relying on Nazem Kadri to put up 100 points, you're not making the playoffs. Like, you cannot build a team around these types of players. And I love Naz. I love him. But the expectations for the Calgary Flames are terrible. Is Jonathan Huberto a top 20 player in the NHL anymore? No. Is Elias Lindholm a top 20 player in the NHL? No. Nazem Kadri? No. Anybody else on this team scrapes the top 20? Probably not. If there's not a single guy on your team that is a top 20 player in the NHL, it is absurd to think that the expectation for a team is to make the playoffs. Like, like the minimum expectation. Yeah. That's so, like so, they're overachieving a little bit would be playoffs in your mind. So why are we expecting the Calgary Flames to be a playoff team? Yeah, I mean, fair, fair enough. Like maybe like, there was definitely in my predictions there was recency bias like two years ago they won the they won the pacific it can't be that bad but i guess when you compare those two teams and you take into account the fact that jonathan huberto is not the jonathan huberto from two years ago nazim kadri is not that nazim kadri yeah. and elias lindholm had a career year you can't expect him to put up 40 um their defense core and their goaltending is still really good and above average on paper yeah. but if those guys aren't playing at the top of their game and your forwards can't score I guess your point is, what are we expecting these guys to do? And yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're, maybe you saw the real Calgary Flames before all of us saw them. Now, because even heading into the season, I don't think you had a ton of faith in them. Zero. I had literally no faith. And again, it's I think every like 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 we're talking about now, everyone is looking at this team and they're expecting all of these guys to be their career best type of players. It is never a good recipe to sign aging forwards off of a career year. It just it never works. They did it twice. They did it twice in the same year at the same time that Elias Lindholm was coming off of a career year. You expect Lindholm to take a step back. You expect all these guys to take a step back and you commit a quarter of a quarter of your cap to them. Like you've decimated your ability to rebuild and you've really hurt your ability to make the playoffs in a really small market where nobody wants to play where you're taking guys who used to put up 115 points and you're now putting them in situations where they're losing passion to come to the rink it's 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 a tough spot to be a calgary flames pen they're gonna be really bad and you talk about it where you say you know they've opened up a three four year window you're you're correct in that that was two years ago it, it's gone and and yeah. they have sunk egregious amounts of money into guys that are going to stop them from getting good draft picks because they're going to keep them just good enough yeah. to be just outside of the bubble in that wild card race. Yeah, I, I said maybe two or three years ago that their window ended when Lindholm's contract was up. Yeah. It's done this season. This is the last season of his contract. They got to get him out of Calgary while he still has some value. You think that's the move they got to trade him? Because I think the he's asking for like nine. Yeah, he's probably worth 7.8 to 8.5. Yeah, not to this team, though. No, definitely not. Team. And you're going to have to pay guys to take away 
Nazem Kadri. I think there is still some value for him on the trade market. Jonathan Huberto, there's zero. No. You live with that contract and you just... You gotta yeah. eat it. Yeah, it's bad. But they signed back into like, what, another one or two year deal? Like, I don't know. Again, I think I think the organization thought that this team was yeah. going to bounce back because Kadri and Huberto were signed last year and had really bad years. You go, ah, we hope that they revert to the mean. I still think that they will revert to the mean relative to where they were last year. But reversion to the mean from a Huberto at 59 points last year isn't back up to 99. It's 65, 70 if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And when you're paying a guy 11 and a half million to put up 65 points, you're not a playoff team. That's really tough. <laughs> That's really tough. Okay. One really, really bad team left to talk about. This one, like, I think that this team can't be mad. Their fans can't be mad. It's the Sharks. It's insane. They're 0-7-1 through eight games. They have only scored eight goals. Eight goals in eight games. And they've led in 32. They're losing on average 4-1. That's funny. That's insane. You want to play a fun game? We Again, we don't watch every single game because it's impossible to. But I would say we are above average in terms of knowing players in the NHL. Yeah. Can you name me 10 players on the Sharks right now? Oof. The expectation is for you not to be able to do this because they're playing at an NCAA East Coast team. But you, you try. Okay. Hurdle. One. Vlasic. Two. Who's their goalies? <laughs> uh, they have William Eklund. Zetterland. I would not have got those two guys, but sure. Those are the two, those are two of the guys they got. And one of the guys they got from uh, New Jersey. Who else is on that freaking team? I don't know. I'm stuck at four. Who, oh, uh, what's the guy's name? The Italian guy. The Italian? Italian defenseman. Ferraro. Oh. Ferraro? Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to play with Ferraro. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, he seems, he, I think he's missing teeth now. I think he just eats pucks. Yeah, I think he has more missed teeth than teeth. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, if I really thought about it, maybe I could get to 10, but I'm, I'm having a tough time at I five would, or six. I wouldn't have gotten Zetterlin. The only other guy that comes to my mind is LeBanc. That's it. LeBanc. LeBanc. That's, That's right. But the argument is that if guys who watch a lot of hockey can't name you 10 guys on this team, they're not going to win 10 games. Yeah, they're pretty fat. Yeah. Is Janssen still playing that team? No clue. Probably because he got traded last year in, yeah. the, in the Meyer deal. I don't know if he was up for a contract or whatever, but, like, but yes, times are tough in San Jose. They, I'm obviously on a point per game basis. They're the worst team to ever play, but that's <laughs> obviously they're they're gonna win a game at some point. But it's funny. I was looking like, oh, like what what's the record? Is the record for the most losses attainable? Like, no. The Sharks already hold the record. They lost 71 games one season. They went 71 and 11 or 11 and 71. Is that recent? I think it was in the 90s when they had just expanded. Okay. So they were god awful. They're not going to be that bad, but they might be the worst team since that 2017 Avs team that sucked. Well, I mean, it makes sense that they're terrible. They're sinking huge amounts of money into contracts that don't allow them yeah. to rebuild. Like we said with Vlasic, they're still paying money to Eric Couture. Carlson, to Couture as and well. Hurdle. Yeah, to and Hur- Burns. To Hurdle. And all of them. And, and then when you look at it, the trades that they've made have not very been have not been very lucrative in terms of draft picks or prospects. No. We talked about it last year. We won't belabor it again, but the Meyer deal, they lost terribly yeah, on doesn't they, look good. Timo Meyer. I know he's having a bad start to the year, but at the end of the day, he's an 85 point 40 goal scorer in the league. Those guys command at least two first round picks and maybe like a strong prospect. They walked away getting a first round pick. And I think it was New Jersey's like fourth or fifth ranked prospect. It made no sense to me. And yeah. it, it makes a lot of sense now why they're so bad because they're not able to rebuild. And the, and the stuff that they got for the guys they traded last year was awful. Yeah. I mean, 
like when you when you give out bad contracts to aging players because you wanted to keep trying to win when you sell all your picks and all your prospects for players at the deadline to contend for like almost a decade this was always going to happen and i don't necessarily blame them for doing what they did in terms of the trades what i will blame them for were all those bad contracts but unfortunately mike greer just kind of like walked into that situation he didn't sign any of those he got out from under two of them for the most part he's retaining on burns and carlson but it's like three million combined like if his goal was to suck this year he's doing a great job like i and i think his goal probably was he won't admit it but like these gyms will never admit that they want to lose but I think maybe he wants to lose this year, yeah. and he's doing a good job of it. And I think I, I don't know. Is there fourth overall pick playing this year? Did they draft Will Smith? Was it? Yes, it might Will have been Smith. Will Smith. I playing? don't think he's playing. No, I don't. Why would he you go anywhere? <laughs> Why would you play? I agree. But the, the question becomes like whatever. Enough about the Sharks. I can't help but think: Is this what the Caps and Pens are going to look like in two years? The Caps are going to look like that within a year, and I think the Pens are going to look like that in three or five. I still think the Pens are a content, a fringe contending team right now. Like they're good enough. They're good enough to do it. The Capitals suck. Like they're, they're really bad. They're really bad, and we predicted it too. I think I think I had them sixth in my in my division rankings for the Metro. Where'd you have them? Sixth or fifth? I can't remember. Regardless, it's terrible. And the only reason they weren't seventh and eighth is because the Blue Jackets and the Flyers playing yeah, that division. True. They're really bad, like really, really bad, and there's nothing else to say. It's gotten to the point where do you think they should trade Alex Ovechkin? If he wants to be traded, yes. But like, how upset would you be if you were the Capitals owner, fans, management team, if you got him all the way up to like eight, whatever he's at, and then he gets past Gretzky another jersey? Like that would that would really bother me. Obviously, he won a cup in New Jersey, and that's what matters most. But for him to break the record in a non-capitals jersey just feels wrong as a hockey fan. Yeah, but financially, is it worth oh, wasting multiple years? Because remember, we're, they're not only going to suck in the years he's chasing that record. Yeah, There's a huge opportunity cost to keeping him on this team because you're not able to start rebuilding. You're going to be missing out on multiple first-round picks you could get for him. You're sacrificing the next three or four years of him being on this team. And probably next, the next five or six years after that, off because you have to delay your rebuild, for the chance that this guy beats the record. Yeah. There's a chance he doesn't beat this record. For he sure. could get hurt. He's old enough right now where he can get hurt and have a career-ending injury. Hope that that doesn't happen because we all want to see him break the record. He's the best goal scorer of all time. But we're talking here. We're going to be giving up multiple years, multiple years financially for the chance that this guy does it. Is it not mutually beneficial for the for the Washington Capitals to trade this guy at the deadline? Because I was thinking about it when I saw him play, like the Leafs played uh, Ottawa, sorry, the Capitals recently. I'm thinking, I don't know why Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals both wouldn't want to trade here. Yeah, I think from like a pure sporting perspective, you're right. It makes a ton of sense for them to sort of get rid of him because, yeah, they can't kickstart a rebuild with him still around. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure he's got no move protection. Yeah, but why wouldn't he want to be traded is my question. Last year, he put up 42 goals. The year before that, he put up 50. This guy is a threat to score 50 every single year. He got off to a bad start this year. Regardless, he's still a threat to score 50. He gets traded to any contending team at the deadline. This is a pro-typical Stanley Cup champion, a guy that is gets in the cor- corners, is very, very physical, lays big hits, great off the puck in terms of setting the tone. You know he instantly turns your team into a top five power play in the NHL. The point being is he probably, especially at that cap hit that he has now, would be one of the best value signings for a contending team that's on the bubble to just go fully all in that's looking for primary scoring. And from the perspective of the Washington Capitals, sure, you want him to, 
to beat that record in a Washington Capitals yeah. jersey. But if the question is, is hey, can we get two first rounds and maybe a second round pick for Alex Ovechkin because his name commands value versus the 70% chance that he hits it in our in our jersey and now we're terrible for the next years because you have no trade value. Like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it'll be beneficial for both team, for both sides, like the Capitals and him if, he, if they make a trade. And if I'm Alex Ovechkin, how many more years do I have left in this league? Do I not want to chase another Stanley Cup? All the best team, all the best players in NHL history have multiple cups. Like Sidney Crosby has three. That's the guy he's been compared to for his whole career. Alex Ovechkin, sure, he's won a cup, but he's only got one. They've only made one real cup run. You have two or three good years, good years left. Why not go to a team and try to get two or three more cup runs before you retire? No, I, I, I agree. Like nothing you nothing you're saying is something that I can disagree with, but like maybe he just doesn't want to. But why though? Like I don't why? Know. He's, maybe he's happy with his cup and his family's there and he really, really wants to beat the record in the caps jersey. Or maybe he's gonna be fed up by the end of the season when he only has like fifteen goals at Christmas or like halfway through the year, let's say he's on pace for thirty goals and he's like, you know, I gotta get out of here and get on a better team where I get more goals. Like maybe he has that moment and it hasn't happened yet. But that's what I'm saying. Like if if, if his goal is to exclusively break the goal record. That's all these I think that's all he cares about. Trading trading him helps him with yeah. that. Like Tom Wilson is not gonna get you fifty goals a year. He's scoring fifty in spite of the guys he's playing with. Yeah. You put him on a top line, any team that he goes to, he will be on the top line. He like his expected goals for the season at least goes up by ten. Yeah, I don't know. It would be I think it would kind of be sad to see him go to another team, but also really fun at the same time. Like imagine he goes to like I don't know, Dallas, let's say, or he goes to like a team that is ready to win. Like mm-hmm. it, w- it would be incredible to watch. Yeah. I just don't know if it's going to happen. Does he score more goals on a team like Washington where he is getting fed that's, every yeah, single play, thing uh, too, every right? single power play, has, or on a team like Dallas where they got to spread true. the love? That's true. He has, against, against the Leafs, he had like 13 or 14 shots on net. Like there's no other team in the league that he's going to be playing on that will allow him to play two minutes on the power play. Every time we enter the zone, we're looking for you because we know you want to shoot and get that goal. Like, there, there could be perks to being the only good player on the team too. Yeah, there could be. I mean, maybe to him, it's like, eh, if I get four or five more goals on another team, I gotta uproot my family and not be and not do it in this jersey. Maybe I'll take my chances. It's fair. I don't know. It's fair. But yeah, it, it's. I just remember it was like one of the funnest playoff cup runs I have ever seen was watching when Alex Ovechkin it. do it. Yeah. I feel like that was the year. So growing up, it was always the Crosby camp versus the Ovechkin camp. If you were a Crosby fan, you hated Ovechkin. I had some buddies that were Ovechkin fans and hated Sidney Crosby. That playoff run when they did it in what 2017 or whatever it was, I feel like everybody was an Alex Ovechkin fan during that time. I remember seeing him lift the cup and like chills down your spine, yep. like that that yell that like it was it was great to see. That was one of the few cup runs I have watched the completion when the when the Leafs got kicked out. The point being, like when Alex Ovechkin is on a contending team that makes a deep run, it's good for the NHL. True. Yeah, I, everyone, I, everyone just came around and loved him that year. Yeah, I would love to see it. I would love to Me see too. it. Me too. Me too. I would. Well, now we're going to talk about some. We're going to talk about some really good teams now, and maybe he'll end up on one of these. We're just going to start with the Bruins because we need to get them out of the way before I become upset. Um. They're six zero and one. I don't know. This team just keeps figuring out how to win. Prove people wrong. I am people. They prove people wrong. I am people. I, I got clowned for putting them as a division I don't team. Get it. They're the Boston Bruins. That's what it is. I I said this a million times. If you take this team, relocate this entire team to Arizona, they're finishing in in seventh in the in the Central. There's just something about this team, something about this organization, something about putting this Bruins jersey on 
that elevates you. And no, I for sure. It's it's tough to explain, but yeah. it's it's palpable. Like I can't like, explain it. That's the problem. Yeah. It's a I don't know. I don't even know if it's a culture thing. It's it, I think it is. I think they just have the best culture. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like you lose Chara culture remains. You lose Bergeron culture remains. You lose Krejci culture remains. Like they just have guys who are continuing to carry it forward. Like Marshawn's your captain now. He embodies that culture. Pasta has it. McAvoy has it. Like, yeah. like they, they just always have somebody there who's going to keep just kind of like remind people of what they expect of each other. And like, yeah, at the it's incredible. At the beginning of the year when we were doing our rankings, the reason why I had them so high is exactly what you were saying, that culture you knew regardless of if if it's a revolving door whoever comes into this team is going to be having career types years but not only that this team has elite players at all elements yeah. of the ice like david pasternak we can all agree is a top five goal scorer in the league a yeah. top five winger in the league as well charlie mcavoy is a top five defenseman in the league mm -hmm. linus allmark is the top seven goalie in the league he won the vesna last year so you got to put him there and then am i missing someone Swayman is very good as well. Like that's a, probably the best tandem in the league. Brad Marchand is still yeah. there. Like the thing is, is you have a phenomenal core of five or six guys at different critical positions where it gets to the point where you can fill the rest of the team with nobodies because when push comes to shove, you got guys at different positions that you can lean on to play 25 minutes a night. No wonder this team is going to be a division. Yeah. I mean, like you're talking about guys you plug in. Second round pick from the last draft, Matthew Plot. Quattro, I think is how you yeah. pronounce his name. He's got five points in seven games. The ghost of JVR is five points in seven <laughs> games. When he went there, I, I think I've said this multiple times in our previous. Like you have JVR playing on your first and your on your first or second line. Like you're not making the playoffs. He's been a third line player since he left Toronto. But lo and behold, the Boston Bruins are turning him into uh, like uh, maybe on pace for what is like a sixty point player. Like it, it's ridiculous. And these are the and the guys that you pay to be very good are doing exactly that. Like these yeah. are some of the most reliable guys in the NHL. Pasta 12 points in seven games. Marshawn seven and seven. McAvoy's a point a game. Like the team is a unit. They are a one C away, like a one C away from truly being a cup contending team again. I think they're a cup contending team now. The only issue is they lost so much depth last year. Yeah. I would still say they're a threat to be a second-round team. I just don't know if they have the depth to win a cup. You plug in Elias Lindholm on that team. That team is automatically, automatically my cup favorite behind the Colorado Avalanche. And I don't know how anyone can convince me not because we see Pasternak and McAvoy and Marshawn playing 23, 24 minutes a night. We know Elias Lindholm is like the pro-typical. I said this a few episodes ago. He's like the Walmart Patrice Bergeron and the way that yeah. he plays. Fits the system perfectly. Now you're going to have a phenomenal power play. I still don't understand why Don Sweeney hasn't pulled the trigger on that, especially if you look at the Flames now and yeah. you, you know you might be able to get them at a discount. I just don't think they have the the assets or the cap space right now. But like trade away your 2031 <laughs> first overall pick, like first round pick. Like, do whatever you need to do. This team is committed to winning. They're one of the very few teams in the NHL where you realize they have a small window yeah. and they're executing successfully, successfully yeah, in that window. So double down on it. You doubled down That's on true. it last year. Double down on it again. You, you, do you think we'll ever get to a point where, like, we see in the NBA teams are trading their 2030 first round pick? Like, in the, in the NHL, you, ne you rarely see a team trade past, like, the next year. The, the reason for that is, is in a cap strapped, hard cap league, it's very difficult for a team to be so good for a very long period of time that they have to continuously sell at the deadline in order to be good enough to win. True. The Boston Bruins are an exception to that because they've been good for the last 10 years. 
So no wonder they're trading away 2047 first round picks because they've been good but for the last. They, but like what I'm saying is like teams don't regularly do that. So do you think they might be a team that does it this year? Yeah, because they're the first team in a very long time who's been good enough for 10 years to make the playoffs that when you look at this team on paper, it warrants trading away picks at the deadline. Yeah. Like how many teams can you say have been good Stanley Cup good for 10 years where it makes sense every year we should keep selling? Like, Pittsburgh up until three years ago. Yeah. yeah. Boston Bruins have been as good as Pittsburgh for a very long time. Yeah, they just don't have the cups for it, but they've been just as dominant. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I think they they probably will. And when they're in division team and maybe playing the Leafs, I'm I'm gonna hate my life because I thought they would be watching the Leafs in April, but whatever. Um are the Boston Bruins a better team to win the Stanley Cup right now than the Toronto Maple Leafs? I mean, I don't think so. Why? I still just think, like, yes, the Bruins are the Leafs' daddies. We know that. We know that they have beaten the Leafs on multiple occasions in seven games and have embarrassed them and whatever. Um, and, and that won't go away if they came up in a playoff matchup this year. I just think that the Leafs have continued to get better as a group, and they've now they have a win under their belt. And I think the Boston Bruins are still incredibly good. But over a seven-game series, I just think the Leafs' depth and hopefully, hopefully their hunger to finally beat the Bruins will overtake them. But I don't think I'd be coming into a series saying, oh, yeah, it's just the Bruins, the Krejci and Bergeron. What can they do? I'd be, I'd be even more scared because you could just never bet against them. But I do think the Leafs would have it in them to beat them. There's no way you think the Boston Bruins lose to the Leafs in a seven-game series with their teams constructed the I, way they I are. I thought last year the Leafs would have beat them too. I mean, I mean, Florida beat them, and then Florida beat us, but no one's expecting Florida to beat them. In the playoffs, do you take Matthews or Pasternak? Hmm. I'd probably take Pasternak, but I'd probably take the rest. If you go on head-to-head for the rest of the players, I'd probably take the Leafs in most of those positions, except maybe Marshan and maybe, and, and for sure, McAvoy. Like, are you taking Marshan or Marner in the playoffs? If Marshan's healthy, probably him. But the rest of the team, like, I think the, the depth outweighs in I, Toronto. I, I agree. The Leafs like, have more depth. Like, they don't have a Willie comparable. They don't have um, a Tavares comparable. They don't have like, they a might Nice get... comparable. They don't have a, you know, keep going down the list. No, I, I agree. In terms of depth, the Leafs are on paper better. Yeah. Like, they're, they're just better. The thing is, is that the top-end guys on the Boston Bruins are just monsters yeah. in the playoffs. And, machines. And you give me Pasternak, McAvoy, Marshawn, Allmark, and a bag of pucks, I don't know if I'm taking any team to beat them, just because you know those guys play well That's when true. it matters most i mean last year they they it they was the first won, time it yeah. didn't happen but i mean just and also considering like you said the ownership that the boston bruins have against the toronto maple Leafs yeah. in past playoffs it what's sad is that you look at these teams on paper and you should be saying leaves in five like objectively anyone yeah. should be saying that but every fan knows you know like the contextual factors that come into play here the boston bruins are just near impossible to beat in the playoffs which is why last year the florida panthers doing that is historic and i don't think it'll ever happen again probably not probably not we're just going to take a brief minute to shut out the sponsor of today's episode seat geek looking to enjoy a night out with some friends watching a sports game concert comedy show or music festival Hit up SeatGeek, an app that helps you find tickets in the cheapest and simplest possible way. By visiting their site, you can see events happening near you, and within one click can instantly get access to tickets at the cheapest possible price. 
With SeatGeek's price grading system, you can instantly find out whether you're getting a bargain on the tickets you buy. At checkout, be sure to enter code UFRPOD to get $20 off your first purchase. Visit SeatGeek today and revolutionize the way you buy tickets. Okay, well, now that we've got that good team out of the way, I can, like, breathe a little bit. Um, the next, I mean, like, I don't think, funnily enough, in Vegas, Stanley Cup hangovers don't exist. I know. Because they're 7 on one They just win games the way they know how to win games. Seven guys with five or more points through eight games. Their first three centers are, like, leading their team in points, minus Shea Theodore. Yep. Carlson has nine points. Stevenson has seven. Eichel has nine points as well. They just win games by committee, and they're dominant, and their goalies are playing incredible. Like, I don't, just no hole in this team. They're probably right now, probably they should they should be the odds-on favorites when they come again. Like, they're they're, se- they're second right now. I, I checked a few days ago. I I think who's first? Colorado. Colorado. Yes. Yeah. That's I mean, it is. it's insane that they're 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 a pretty flawless team. Yeah, I can't say it any better. That the way to describe this team is by committee, and they're you know the only slight that people say is against this team is that their top end talent isn't elite like no one's saying anyone on this team is a top 10 player in the league and normally i would say you do need a top mm-hmm. 10 player in the league to win you a cup but when you have three or four top 25 players and everyone on this team is a top 100 player yeah. who is able to log minutes and you have a goalie that can you know stand on his head and get you a win when it matters two most of them now. two of them yeah which is weird no one 3 years ago no one was thinking your graduate logan thompson Literally. and then aiden hill were going to yeah. be those guys i mean especially in a division where there's teams that are struggling. We've just talked about the Oilers and the Flames struggling. They should be a lock to win this division now. Oh, yeah. And I mean... Big time. It's just, especially in the playoffs, too. I think there's a stat that they have, I think, per I think tallest and like I think the, the heaviest defensive yeah. core in the league. They're huge. And these... They, they, I hate they can saying, all move the puck, too. Like they're, they're not just big for nothing. They're big and they're good at hockey. They're very which mobile. Which is what we always can like qualify a statement as. Yeah. And I hate... I hate, you know, bringing in, because I, I, I don't want to sound like a boomer here, but in the playoffs, we say this all the time, like it gets physical. It's tough for a guy who's 5'10 to complete in the playoffs. That's yeah. why usually GMs for no reason will go out and get a big body defenseman like Sherratt and not take into, the, take into account the fact that he can't skate. But when you look at the Vegas Golden Knights, they're big and they're mobile and they're puck moving defensemen. Yeah. Team's like your, tough to beat. Your boy, Shea Theodore, is turning into one of the best defensemen in the league. Yeah, he's, he's in gross. nine points in nine games. He's got that power play's gross. And he, like, last year, the only reason why he wasn't a fantasy god is because him and Petrangelo were competing for the power play one. That's Shea Theodore's power play one now because yeah. they are rolling. Yeah, and I mean, they, they have, like, a bit of a Bruins vibe to them. Because, like, yeah. Funny that Cassidy is there, but they have guys just step in and become good. Like, like, Chandler Stevenson was really good on the Capitals, but he's elevated there. Yeah. This random guy, Paul Cotter, some of the sickest hands I've ever seen. <laughs> what a gross he's just goal. dangling That's guys for cool. fun. He has that five points in, in seven in eight games. Like they have, they find these guys out of nowhere. The one that he put through his legs. Yeah. Wow. And they're like they find these guys and they're good. They take good NHL players, they make them better. They take randoms and they make them NHL players. It's it's ridiculous. Like it's a, it's a culture thing. Yeah, they're Boston West. Yeah, they are. Bruce Cassidy is I yeah. He's the best coach in the NHL. Yeah, he might he might finally get his like it's it's funny how when they uh vote for the Jack Adams, it's never like the John Coopers, the Cassidy's. It's always like the John Chodorellas will take a bad team and scrape into the playoffs. I think I think the coaches who are consistently having teams finish in first deserve to win the Jack Adams more often. I, I they agree. just should because they're the best coaches for and they've coached the best teams. Surprise. Yeah. Should like, be goals 
sorry, um, wins wins one above expected. I don't know the way to say that. Yeah. But on paper, I can probably name you at least five or six teams that are probably better than the Vegas Golden Knights. And the fact that they're winning these games is attributed to Bruce Cassidy. He did it in Boston with teams that, again, were not phenomenal, were good, and he elevated them to Stanley Cup contenders. There was all this drama with Vegas forever. Bruce Cassidy comes in, it's all gone. This team's all business, and they very quietly win a cup. Yeah. Like, would you not say the Colorado Avalanche, the Toronto Maple Leafs, will throw the Dallas Stars in there, the New Jersey Devils, the Carolina Hurricanes? Those are all better rosters on paper than the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, probably. And then you can make arguments about maybe the Boston Bruins, maybe the Edmonton Oilers. Like, there's other teams where you go, like, maybe the Tampa Bay Lightning. On paper, Edmonton's got to be the best team in the league. They have- yeah to the best three players in the world. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that last year, that team, I think in when the playoffs started, were like 14th or 15th ranked odds to win the cup because they shouldn't have won it. But they just do it by committee. There's, it. there's a culture there. And Bruce Cassie just has an ability to elevate teams. That's why I just, I don't want to say it for the 12th time, but I just, we made a big mistake not getting him when he was available. I remember seeing yeah. him get fired. And I was like, there's no way they just fired the best coach in the NHL. He's going to get, scooped up within three days and before you know it vegas vegas fires what, what was his name peter DeBoer. i think peter, they had at the time fire DeBoer, DeBoer, pick yeah. up cassidy yeah i love i love sheldon keep but we should have dumped him for cassidy because those uh, guys don't grow in trees they're not afraid to make changes in that organization they they should, they they yeah. yeah just quickly on their goalies i mean hill 915 in five games thompson's at 933 in three games like I've never seen a, a team cycle through goalies this much and have every goalie play really, really well. Yeah. And I think that comes down to one thing. It wasn't unique to Cassidy, but he's obviously playing a big role. It's coaching. Yeah. Like, like we even talked about it. Like, Corp- like Corpusalo now sucks in in uh, in this in in Ottawa, and Gustafson's good in Minnesota. Anybody who goes to play, I'm not taking away from Gustafson, but anybody that goes to play goalie in Minnesota tends to be better than what they were before because they just play a certain system. I'm sure you can put any goalie on Vegas and they'd be very good. These two goalies happen to be performing well. Like Jonas Johansson is like, I think, six and one or something stupid like that in Tampa when he was barely going to have an NHL job if Vasilevsky didn't get hurt. I think having a good goalie is so important, but the system in front of the goal, I think, is more important about anything else. Like Jack Campbell, you put him on. You put Jack Campbell on uh, Vegas, he's probably putting up a 9-15. Oh, undoubtedly. But he's playing in front of the most poorest defense in the league, so he looks like the worst goalie in the league. That's why it's very hard to attribute goalie stats to purely goalies, because goalie stats are a team stat. Like, no matter how good you are, no matter how good you are, if you get put up 50 shots a game and 12 of them are high-danger chances, you're going to have an 840. Yeah, and I'm I'm saying this as a someone who was a goalie. Like, I'm not even anti-goalie. I just think, yeah, it, it, it matters. And not every high danger chance is the same too. Like maybe guys are getting sticks in the way. There's a big body. that like, a, a shot from the slot is recorded the same regardless of the context. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, maybe Vegas is just, they don't let them clean shots off with their clean shots. Yeah, or they, like, yeah, they clear the lane because they're so yeah. big. Yeah, I agree. Like, not all, I not agree. all shots are created equal. Yeah, <laughs> Vegas does a good job of making sure that their shots are... Um, of lower quality, I assume. And I think that speaks to the reason why goalies just aren't paid very much yeah, in the NHL, and sure. they shouldn't be, because in terms of a replaceability and scarcity standpoint, they're like running backs in the NFL, where running backs in the NFL, their stats are very much system-based, based on the O-line, based on the age of the running back. 
it's the same thing in the NHL where you can take a, an above average goalie in a phenomenal system, like you're saying, and he will be good. There's maybe only two or three goalies in the NHL that I can say mm-hmm. you put them on Arizona, they will have a 915. Vasilevsky, Shesterkin, Sorokin, you can throw Hellebuck in there. And I think maybe you can throw Ottinger in there, maybe. But apart from that, like if Logan Thompson is putting up a 933 in Vegas, it's a perfect example of goalie stats are a system based in team yeah. set, like you're saying. And- Logan Thompson is not a great goalie, but you put him in Philly, he's not putting up a 933. No. He's probably putting up... Eight something. Yeah, and that's more of a, a shot at Philly and not a shot at Thompson. Yeah, like, right. if you put a goalie in who can stop pucks, they're going to stop pucks for you if you if you help them. Yeah, if, at the end of the day, all of these goalies are, you know, they're, like, they're Top all... Top 60 in the world. Yeah, like, that, that's yeah. what I was exactly what I'm trying to say. These guys aren't letting in low-danger chances. Yeah. Like, they're letting in one of them every three games if they're lucky, and if they do, it's an off night. Like, it... Yeah, they're all more than capable enough to be good. It's the system that they're in that that affects it, like you're saying. Yeah, and sometimes you catch fire and you play absurdly well, like Aiden Hill did and Bobrovsky did last year. But for the most part, like we saw the we saw the Avs win it. They they played very well in front of Kemper. He only needs to have like a low 900 save percentage to win them a cup. They didn't need him to be a 950. God, Jesus Christ, reincarnated. They just needed him to stop the pucks. They needed him to stop, and they were going to take care of the rest, and that's exactly what they did. I agree. That's another huge problem with looking at save percentage because it doesn't delineate the types of shots that you're taking. And we know that, you know, sports fans, sorry, hockey fans are not very stats-friendly, and you start throwing things around like high-danger save percentage and, you know, like shots from different angles. Like, those things matter. Like, like you, you look at a guy who's putting up a 915 on Toronto versus a guy who's putting up a 915 on Arizona. The latter is way more impressive because probably mm-hmm. a, a far more significant percentage of those shots are harder to stop. Yeah, that's why I was. That's why I'm surprised a, a team whose goalie away hasn't gone out and gotten Vamalka yet. Yeah, I like, agree. Like New Jersey Devils need to be going out and be Hurry. looking at him, or go get Varlamov, go get somebody, somebody who can just save the pucks you need them to save, and they're gonna be. Yeah. I mean, they've gotten off to a very good start. So they don't. I don't think they're dying for a goalie just yet, but. They should be. Um, this we've got two more really good teams to talk about. I mean, we kind of already hinted at them a little bit. It's the Abs, they're six one and zero. Are we really surprised? I don't think so. I took them to win the cup this year. Yeah, they're the best team in the league on, on paper. I mean, and they've had a tough schedule so far too. They played the Kings, the Kraken, the Canes, the Islanders, all playoff teams. I think they've beaten all of them. Um, well, and most of those teams are known for being pretty defensively oriented. They scored twenty two goals against those teams in four games. That's like. They're the best team in three the and four goals a game. Yeah, there, there was there were only two things last year that stopped them from being the best team in the league last year. Number one were injuries. They missed a large percentage of the like McCarr was hurt for a large percentage yep, of the year. McKinnon too. Um, I think Matt. I don't think McKinnon was healthy last year. He put up a hundred points, but he missed ten games. Yeah. Rantanen was hurt for a while as well. Um, and the other thing was, oh my gosh, now now was the Stanley Cup hangover. Like that was Stanley Cup hangovers are real. Like when equally as we were talking about it for goalies, where all of these guys are top sixty players in the world. Every single player in the NHL is an elite player in the world, obviously. The thing that separates these types of players is motivation. And I had never seen a more motivated team in Colorado after losing to Vegas that year before and coming back. Like the year that they won the Stanley Cup was a steamroll. They swept two teams. No team took them to game seven in the playoffs. They almost won. No, they almost won the President's Trophy. They didn't win it. You know, they finally, you finally get 
the goal that you've been wanting to have forever. No wonder last year you're not as good. Mm-hmm. And even notwithstanding that and missing a bunch of guys due to injury, they still won the division. Yeah. They got embarrassed in the playoffs. I truly believe if they had won that um, that series, I think they would have probably gone to the cup final. I think last year getting embarrassed was good for them because it gives them that motivation again. Yeah. If they had gotten to a, a Stanley Cup final or like a cup or, or a conference final last year, maybe they're not as hungry as they are now. I think they have a chip on their shoulder again. Mm-hmm. And when you put a chip on the shoulder of unarguably the best team on paper in the NHL, not gambling advice, but this team is winning the Stanley Cup. And I don't yeah. think it's close. They're unreal. I mean, Ranton is having a crazy season again. He is proving that last year yeah. wasn't a fluke. He's got, I think he's got here. I got here. Five goals and 12 points already in seven games. On his way to another 50 goal, 100 point season. I have a question for you. Yeah. Is he becoming the most underrated player in the league? Undoubtedly. He's been this good for a very long time. The years before that, he had 36, point, 36 goals, 30 the year before that. He's been putting up 66, then 92, then 105. He's going to put up 115 this year. Mikko Rantanen is a six foot five, 230 pound power forward that you can rely on to get you 40 goals in 100 points. We'll even call it 90 points a year. There are maybe two or three of those in the NHL. And if you're not putting this guy in the top 10 players in the NHL, by definition, you have to be underrating him. Like it's, again, not mutually exclusive to say an elite player can be underrated if you're not putting him up with the value that you think that he is. Mikko Rantanen is inarguably a top five winger in the league inarguably a top 10 player in the NHL. And when you talk about the top 10 players, he is never brought up. And Rarely. it makes makes no sense, but he's one of the few players in the league that can create his own shot and score his own goal. We saw last year when Nathan McKinnon wasn't there, he not only stepped up, he was like leading the league in goals without Nathan McKinnon. So all of this, you know, baloney that Mikko Rantanen relies on McKinnon and relies on that power to play, power play to be good were vindicated by the fact that last year without McCarr, without McKinnon, he was one of the best players in the league. And the physical attributes are there. Like, how many guys in the league are 6'5", 230 on the wing? And now when you, get, when you get a guy who can put up 115 and score 50 with those attributes, he's a fringe top five player in the NHL when he's having a career year. Yeah, yeah. He's unbelievable. And yeah, uh, he... we're, we're all sorry, not to interrupt you. We're also talking about, like, Makar not winning. It looks like Makar for the Norris is a foregone conclusion because people are saying he's going to win the heart this year. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write him off, so, especially with McDavid being out and maybe not playing a full season. It's anybody's heart now. We have, a, we have a possible, we have two of the top five players in the league, three of the top ten players in the league on one team. A guy that's a threat to win the heart and the Norris. A guy that's a threat to win the heart. The other guy's a threat to win the Rocket Richard. There, and, and and then when you look at it, you might think, okay, the rest of this team must be AHL players. They're being filled with. Guys like Valerie Nachushkin, who is a oh, very good goal scorer. Guys like Bowen Byram. Guys like Devon Taves. And in net, they're not, they're not bad either. Georgiev like, has been really good. He's in 9 I think he's a 9-18 so far. This, seven te- games. this team, their top-end talent is the best top-end talent in the NHL, for sure. And depth-wise, they're also unbelievable. Yeah. Miles Wood, Ross Colton, Lekkanen. It's, it's Convince me beat. how this team is not going to win the Stanley Cup. And with Outlanders caught. Yeah, it's bad. Like, it, it, it's cancel this season these guys are winning yeah, the they're gonna be if you, yeah if you come up against them in the playoffs i don't think they're gonna lie down for anybody like they did last year no. it's gonna be scary um all three teams that we talked about so far you could have convinced yourself at the beginning of the season that they were gonna lead their divisions yes i said i personally said boston was gonna fall off but you didn't and a lot of other people were convinced they were gonna be really good one team that i think we both said were gonna be painfully mid was the detroit red wings oh, here we go and 
I mean, we were wrong so far. Like we got we got so much heat from Wings fans when we made those eyes are planned failing TikToks and we called them mid. Um, I stand by it. Yeah, no, I st- I stand by it too. But those Wings fans in our comments must be loving life right now. They are five two and one to start the season, second in the Atlantic. Um, they have the second and third highest point scorers at the time of recording. Debrinket has nine goals in eight games. He has like thirteen points or something like that. Larkin has fifteen points in eight games. Like, I mean, they've they've had a great start. Good for them, and I'm happy. And you know what? If you're a Detroit Red, Red Wings fan in the UFR comments, talk your talk. Like this team is <laughs> this team's walking it. Like you should be happy for your team when they start off this well. Another reason you should be very happy and you should savor this is because come the all-star break they're going to be fifth <laughs> they're going to be fifth in the division like they're just they are not good enough depth wise to be a, um, a division team and they're not making the playoffs either like i don't know who in the world can credibly think the detroit red wings are a playoff team when the boston bruins are good again the toronto maple leafs are the leafs tampa bay lightning are the lightning you're, co- you're competing with the new and improved buffalo sabers and ottawa Senators, who you yeah, have gotten off to bad starts but then not only withstanding that, if you want to make the argument that Detroit Red Wings are better than those teams right now, sure that they are. But are they better than the Pittsburgh Penguins? Are they better than the New York Rangers? Because remember, you're competing with those teams in order to mm-hmm. make the playoffs because you're not a division team, irrespective of the fact that you're third right now. The situation that they're in is not conducive to a playoff berth. And not only that, they have zero, zero depth. Like, I'm sorry, Dylan Larkin and Alex Debrinkit are very elite players. But are they superstars? No. No. Are they playing like superstars right now? Yes. Yes, they're playing like superstars. And the fact that this team is only 5-2 and two because two non-superstars who are unproven to be superstars are playing like it screams reversion to the mean. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Maybe Alex Dabrinkit and maybe Dylan Larkin put up 100 points for the next two, three years. Then would my opinion change on the Detroit Red Wings? Obviously. But right now, when Alex Dabrinkit is a career 75 to 80 point player, Dylan Larkin is in that category too. Both of those guys get you 35 to 40 goals. Dabrinkit might get you a little bit more. The best predictor of the future is what has already happened. These guys are going to fall back to earth. And if you're going to need Dabrinkit to play like the best player in the league for you to sniff the the third place in the division, how are you convincing me this team's a playoff team? No, I, I agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. When when Debrinket stops cosplaying as Mike Bossy, yeah, they, like they're gonna fall off. Like eight eight or nine goals in eight games is like quite literally unsustainable. Yeah, by definition. So, yeah, I mean he's well on his way. He he's probably gonna get forty this year just because of this head start that he has, and He'll that prob- contract will be gr- looking great. Yeah, doesn't mean the team's good. He'll probably get fifty, but if he yeah. gets sixty, they're still not a playoff team. Yeah. They, they, are they a playoff team if he gets sixty and? Larkin gets 100 points and they're in the central? Yes. But none of those things exist. Like, it's yeah. just... I'm sorry. Alex Dabrinkit is not going to put up 100 points. And no. the issue is, is that they are so reliant on their top end. Who is the second line on that team? Jake Andrew Kopp. Andrew Kopp, Comfer, and Perron. Like, come on. On yeah. a cup contending team, those guys are thr- fringe third line players. Yeah, you're right about that. Who do they have defensively? Mort Sider's phenomenal. I'll give Mort Sider his flowers. He is a top 10 defenseman in the league. Like, he's been doing it for three years now. He's gone off to a phenomenal start. The physical attributes are there again. Good puck moving defenseman. But after that, we're looking at Justin Hall, who's ben having Chirot, a yeah. career year. He's plus nine right now. By the All Star break, <laughs> he'll be minus 62. Like, Ben Sherratt is terrible. I remember we got so much heat for saying Ben Sherratt was awful. And finally, now everybody sees yeah, it. Everyone knows it. 
And who are the rest of the defensemen on that team? I don't, I don't know. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, really, and really, Huso's not even playing great yet, which is like maybe a thing where you can say, okay, you know, our starting goalie has an 893 in like the four or five games he's played, and we're still winning games. Once he gets above a 900, we're going to be even better. Eh, I don't know about that. Mid. Maybe. Mid. Maybe. The, Anah- the Anaheim Ducks had a great start to the year last year. They were five and two after five games. How many teams? How many people thought they were going to make the cup? Nobody, and they ended up finishing like dead last. So. Obviously, it's different because the Detroit Red Wings on paper are better. Yeah, but like, they play in the hardest division in the league, and the wild card team that they have to play against plays in the second hardest division in the league. They're just not. They're just not them. Like I'm sorry. We can make another. I don't want to make a bet with you because you also agree the Detroit Red Wings aren't making the playoffs. I'll make a bet with every Pretend single. Pretend that I'm like Stevie Wise, third cousin yeah. in our comments. I'll make a bet with anyone in our comments. You know, I will do whatever the top comment in our most liked video does if the Detroit Red Wings make the playoffs, provided it's legal. <laughs> because I will, like, there's just no chance. There's just no chance. I would love to see what some people come up with. There's some sickos in our comments. <laughs> So they might be making to do some crazy things. Is Alex DeBrinket a threat to win the Richard this year? By definite, by like by the fact that he has like ten goals already to start the season, yes. But Will, I mean, Will Matthews he? already has seven, and some other guys with like six or seven. So I probably don't think he'll end up winning it, but like I wouldn't be shocked. I guess there is no chance that he wins the Rocket. So, no, because he's doing it at an unsustainable rate. Alex Dabrinkit is probably the most underrated goal scorer in the league. We've said it for a while. He looks like he's a lock to score 35, can get you 50 on a good year. Like that, that puts you in an elite category of goal scorers. Yeah. But the best goal scorers in the league do that on down years, right? Yeah. Like the best goal scorers in the league, we're talking guys like a healthy Matthews, guys like a healthy Dreitseidel, a healthy McDavid, a healthy Pasternak. When those guys are having career years, you're going, 65 is not out of the realm. Nobody thinks to bring it on a career year is putting up 65. That's true. That's so. a good way to put it. Yeah, sorry, sorry Red Wings fans. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be touching 60. If he got 50, would I be shocked? No. But I don't think the, I don't think 50 gets you the rocket anymore, which is crazy to say. Um, Goals are up in the NHL. Yeah, they are. I mean, we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. Do we want to talk about the Leafs a little bit, or do we want to just hop right to players? Sure, it's... Uh... Yeah, we could talk about, we, I think we'd be remiss to not talk about Joseph Wolf for a little bit. Sure. Um, I mean, dude's a stud. Yeah, he's like, he's, he's unreal. For league men. For league men for another two years after this, or another year or two after this, I think. And okay. Sammy's on what, a one-year ARB, ARB deal? Is it one or two? He got one year this, this Perfect. Summer, so. And, you know, I don't want to be this guy. <laughs> Leafs fans are very, perfect was the wrong word. Leafs fans are very reactive. And, you know, there was a glimpse of that in what I just said. Samsonov will come back to earth. He will be a yeah. 915 goalie. But yeah, having to have this guy. Shades of Vegas here. Yeah, absolutely. We'll like, well, he's only played four games. He leads the league in goals saved above expected, period. Period. This is like comparing him to guys who have played seven games already. And he's also leads the league, obviously, in goals saved above expected per 60. Like, he is playing incredible. And I, like, am I shocked that he's playing this good? Like, eh, a tad. But. I don't think either of us are shocked that he's good, period. No. Like, last year when he came in and he, you know, played the last half, the last 10 games of the season, played a lot of games because Hammond was hurt. Um, I was like, no, this guy's a stud. Like, he's going to be good. This year coming into the season, you said, give it to the end of the season. Like, he will be our starter. You want, you, you said that. Um, I think it seems to be coming true. Like, 
Like technically, he's just he's so sound. He he moves so well. Like there's no wasted movement. He's so calm. He makes things look easy, and he makes like one or two like ridiculous saves every game he's that played save, so that, far. That split the save split save was, was ridiculous. He makes a couple of saves like the knob of his stick. He's stretching like robbing guys and like he's two on ones. Like he's he's just nasty. He's, he's he's gross. And and the big thing was I remember last year when Samsonov got hurt in the Florida series. Mm-hmm. All of us were going, "Oh man, we're cooked." Will came in and was not the reason we lost. He won us a game. He was better than Samsonov was in oh, that yeah. series. And I mean, if you if you're telling me, um, a guy comes into a a really tough spot and puts up good numbers like Nice last year, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons we projected Nice to be so good this year because yeah. the guy shows it that he has it when it matters most. And Joseph Full looks like that guy. And for all the guys on Twitter who are looking at this scenario and going, this is terrible for Samsonov. Look at it positively. Samsonov will come back to earth. Yeah. Samsonov struggled for a bit last year at early on this season, I remember, and ended off the year at a 9-18, 9-20. When Samsonov comes back to earth, we are looking at arguably the best goalie tandem in the league. Probably we'll say top five just because, you know, I'm still taking all Mark Swayman. I'm still taking Hill Thompson. Yeah. Like, and there's some other ones that I'm missing as well. But it's like, we've, we've, we haven't had a good goalie for a very, very long one time. One that we drafted yeah. in a very long time. And so maybe this is the time. No, it's, it's so exciting. Um, How long is Wall the starter? Like, do you, he, it's, it's his net until he loses it, right? I think it's his net to lose already. And how many games does he have to play poorly before you give it back to Samson? I still think they're going to be like a bit of a tandem, but I think he's, he's built himself a pretty long leash right now. Yep. Um, he'll probably end up playing 50 to 55 games. Like, they're probably still semi-split, but he's going to be getting the Saturday nights. He's going to be getting the contending teams if he keeps playing like this. And we'll know by the end of the season that he's the starter based on the type of game that he's getting. If the playoffs started right now, who's... Oh, I'm playing Wall in a heartbeat. Yeah, even though, like, he's just been hot recently? Yeah, because, yeah, if he just, like, came out of nowhere this year and was just playing lights out, I'd be like, yeah, we know we're getting out of Sammy, but, like, Wall, he... He's, I think he's got like 15 games prior to this under his belt and he played well. He played well in the playoffs last year. He came in relief. Um, I think in the Tampa series that we won, he played like half a game or something and we ended up winning that game. They yep. came back and won in overtime. He got a win in the playoffs against Florida. Like I think there's enough there to know that you can trust him. I agree. He, I, I have the same answer. He's, he's a game one starter. And let's, let's let ourselves just like get a little too excited and get ahead of ourselves a little bit. If he becomes a leaf starter not expecting him to keep this 950 let's say he just continues to play really well in this rookie class is he a calder vote calder shout this rookie class is deep man this rookie class is really really deep he'd have to get 55 60 games under his belt at a 930 and like that's astronomically unfair to expect from a guy like that especially because it's his first year but when you're playing in a draft a rookie class with connor bedard it, it would have to take a career rookie year for you to vote against Berdard just because the NHL is hyping up Berdard yeah. to an, a, a crazy extent. If Berdard puts up 50 points this year, he's going to win the Calder just because he's Connor Berdard. Um, but at the way that he's playing right now, in any other year, he's a Calder winner. I agree. Yeah. That's kind of crazy to think. When's the last time a goalie's won a Calder? Oh, man. I don't know. I think Skinner got nominated last year. We didn't win. I can't remember the last time a goalie won a Calder. It's probably been a really long time because... Usually rookie goalies aren't that good, and usually, like you said, there's somebody that the league is hyping up that will just win it based off of um, based off of storylines or whatever narrative. But I can't remember the last time. Are you looking it up? Yeah, I can't. I can't find anything. Did Price win it? I don't think he was that good when he came in the league. Price. 
Let's take a look. I can change it by season here. Can I? Okay, so Beniers last year, Sider, Kaprizov, Makar, Pedersen, Barzal, Matthews, Panarin, Ekblad, McKinnon, Hubert, Landeskog. I'm already at 2012. Skinner, Myers, Steve Mason? Yeah, he's a goalie. There it is, Steve Mason. When was that? Steve Mason in 2008, 2009. And then so 15 years? Before that, Leafs oh, legend Andrew Raycroft in 04. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I hope that if he does win the Calder, he's not the next Raycroft. <laughs> to say the least. I mean... We didn't win it with the Leafs, though, so yeah. we don't claim him. Fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Wolves off to a great start. We're just going to take a brief intermission here to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, Manabo Town. Located in North York, Ontario, Manabo Town is ready to support you with all of your pregame luxury wear. Ranging from sharp suits to sleek shirts and pristine ties, Manabo Town is here to elevate your game to the next level. Visit Manabout Town today or find them on Instagram at manabouttown265 to learn more about how they can assist you. Another guy. Let's talk about it really quickly. My boy, Willie. He's a machine. He, he, he looks different this year. Is William Nylander a top 10 goal scorer in the NHL? Ooh. I don't know if I'm ready to put him there yet because he only has one forty goal season under his belt, but like he's looking like he's putting himself into that conversation. Okay, so William Nylander is a top blank goal scorer in the NHL. Fill in the blank. Mm, 15 to 20? I think that's fair. Yeah, he's good. He's really good. Um, 11 points in seven games. Like, this guy just doesn't give a blank. Like, he just doesn't care. He doesn't care that his contract's up. He doesn't care that people are constantly debating his value. He just goes out there and he scores goals and he puts up points and he skates like the wind and he dangles players and he makes things happen. Also a very underrated passer. That backhand sauce he gave to Riley yeah. a couple games ago was disgusting. The sauce that the saucer pass that he gave Tavares to win an OT against the um against the Lightning, I was like screaming shoot at my TV, and then Tavares just comes out of nowhere and he finds him. Like that that's that's a ridiculous pass. Um, yeah, he just he. But I was as I was saying, he just looks different. Like he's engaging in battles. He's driving the net. Two years ago, I don't think Willie drives the net and scores that goal in Tampa. Yep. I don't think he drives the net and scores that ridiculous goal against Minnesota in like the second or third game of the season. Like he just seems like a man possessed. He's hungry. Yeah, he's hungry. He's, he's a, strong. It's he's a contract fast. year. What's that? It's a contract year. Yeah, it is. But he was even like, I think he would still be doing this without a contract. Even if they sign him in the summer, I think he's just. I think that he's just taking the next step of his game oh so that's i think so it's probably a combination a little bit of both. of both for sure the hunger plays a factor like he's come on the not on the record but like off the record to other people who have reported it saying that he like wants 10 million thinks he's worth it mm-hmm. i guess you got to go out and show it and he's definitely right now if he was to sign a contract today it's 10 minimum oh you're not getting it for 10 so he's proved his point right and what you're saying is like him taking the next step it isn't even in goal scoring it's the fact that like off yeah. the puck he's great like i couldn't have said it better myself the whole, the only slight against William Nylander for the since he's been drafted is that when he's not on the score sheet, he detracts from the team. Like he, he's bad off the puck, and this year he is phenomenal off the puck. Seems so he's far defensively responsible, and even when he stays off the score sheet, he makes things happen. Like a lot of tertiary assists, a lot of like in zone plays. Like I'm seeing him cycle off the puck. He's creating space. Like just a very good hockey player. Like he's he's a reliable number one goal score on a good power play now i i, I think yeah. so and he ha- and he, he's like the second option second or third option on our team yeah and which... when we want to talk about a contract you know 
this is difficult. Like I, I, I tweeted this. It was funny. Like last year at the end of the year, everyone was saying, you know, um, it was Kyle Dubas or whatever. Leafs GM would have been dumb to sign William Nylander in the off season at nine and a half yeah. because Meyer just got eight point something or was it a flat eight? I think. Regardless of what it was, and William Nylander isn't better than Timo Meyer. You know, at the time there was some validity to that statement. Mm-hmm. By the same logic now is could have, should have signed him at nine because yeah. he's worth eleven. Yeah, I mean, like hindsight, it's twenty twenty. I think we, we and we both said it. Like I wouldn't pay him over nine. I think we were right at the time. I think now, if you if the Leafs were to like reengage in negotiations today, you're not getting him for less than ten. Which is why I think the Leafs need to just like let him play and revisit this later when we can look back at the whole season. Because I don't think he's going to be putting up a hundred points. No, I think you'll probably end up between eighty-five to ninety points, which yeah. is incredible. Yep. Um. But that's better than paying someone now with a knee-jerk reaction. Let him play out the season. Let him stay motivated because it's benefiting you. And then when the season's done, and if he really wants to be a Leaf, they'll come to an agreement between nine and a half and ten million. And that's it. I remember hearing a report somewhere. It might have been Chris Johnson. Don't correct me if I'm wrong, or forgive me if I'm wrong. But I think the Leafs were in the summer comfortable giving him like nine seven, nine seven five. Really? Apparently. And he declined it. Yeah. Or maybe he was like, maybe Willie's thinking, well, if that's on the table now. That's pretty good. Let me see if I can go get a couple more hundred thousand out of them. But That's if fair. not, we can return to this number. That's fair. Right now, if the Leafs sign him to nine seven five for eight years, at his age twenty six, twenty seven, are you comfortable with that? Oh my gosh, undoubtedly, especially with the cap going up, he's worth nine seven five in a stagnant cap. When the cap goes up, that deal is going to look very good very soon. A hundred percent, I'm comfortable with it. And you know, again, a lot of people on Twitter, I was seeing that they were saying that the Nylander contract negotiations negotiations excuse me were handled poorly i don't think they were handled poorly as well i think the leafs did a good job with negotiations we shouldn't have signed them in the offseason to nine nine and a half nine eight because the market was not that like again timo meyer was getting paid eight there were other guys in the realm of how good he was at that time making that money so 9.5 wasn't logical you fast forward it to how the season is starting now it is illogical to give him a contract now because he's playing at a historically unprecedented rate right now you'd have to sign him to 11 in order to get him not right to do that like you said it's perfect let him play it out if by the end of the year he magically puts up 100 points and 50 goals you pay him the 11 because you know he's done it sustainably for two years and the contract is a good value bet and if at the end of the year he's not as good as how we started off you get him for his value it would be very very irresponsible for you to go sign this guy now and the reason why i'm bringing this up is because like all over twitter uh, like i all i see are leaf fans saying you better race to sign him now before he gets even more expensive i think if william nylander puts up a career year is he going to get more expensive than what you would sign him for right now probably not like and the recency bias is big is heavy right now exactly and even if we're saying he is going to go up two three hundred thousand I am willing to pay that yeah. extra two, three hundred grand to know that it's sustainable. Yeah. So it makes no sense to sign him now. Yeah. No. Very, very well said. The you only... gotta sign him for ten. Well, then you gotta sign him for ten. But it's better than signing him for ten now. Yeah. Knowing that. You know. <laughs> the the only issue is that if he puts up a career year and something changes in his mind where he says, "I gotta go to free agency," then you're screwed. Yeah. And <laughs> you're screwed. The Chicago Blackhawks are a great landing spot for him. Well, I've seen him and Bedard. I've seen all over Twitter that. You know, the Blackhawks are going to be very aggressive trying to sign him in the offseason because they're at a point now where you need to surround Bedard yeah. with good guys because the window to win a cup is going to start to open. It opens as soon as you get Bedard, technically. And you want him to develop. 
what better than to sign a guy who's sustainably been a 45 goal scorer over two years when you're struggling to meet the cap floor? And if they give him 11, how does William Nylander turn that down? That's true. Does 11, his brother play there too? He's in that he system. He played there once. He might be in Pittsburgh right Maybe. now. But the thing, I guess, the, and we mentioned this earlier, so we're not going to continue to be on this Nylander contract drum because, you know, we have, like we said, it's not going to be a while before they sign him. But it, let's just say the, um, uh, the Caps, not Caps, oh my God, the Blackhawks go out and say, okay, yeah, we'll give you uh, 11 for seven years. That's 77 million is my math, right? Yeah. If the Leafs give them nine and a half for eight, I don't know what the math is, off, math is off the top of my head, but it's not that different, is it? 72 plus four is what, 76? 76 million. Right. So it's like, the issue is, at is that, that point, you get to pick. The issue is, what if the Blackhawks say, here's 12, 12 and a half? Then bye bye Willie. I would I would be like, hey, go get your money, man. Like, yeah. congrats. Because twelve and a half when the cap is going up ten million for a guy that scores you forty to fifty isn't awful. May not be awful. It's not awful. Yeah. We're looking at it like right now, a guy, a guy at twelve and a half with a cap that's ten million more than it is now. You're probably looking at like a guy making nine point eight right now. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And yeah. are you willing to pay a fifty goal score in this cap era nine point eight? Probably. Probably. It's probably the highest you're willing to pay him. But when you're struggling to meet the cap floor, if you want to attract free agents to Chicago, you want to surround guys like Bedard, who surround guys like who are around the same age ish as Bedard. Nylander's the perfect guy to do that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, someone was willing to give uh, freaking Uberdo ten and a half million. So <laughs> who would ever somebody's be... going to be out there willing to give Willie eleven and a half? Who would ever be dumb enough to give Huberto ten and a half million? The guy running the Leafs. <laughs> so we got to be careful with this one. Sorry, Jim, if you're listening, we love you. Um. Let's wrap up our episode just like really quickly talking about some, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, everyone and their mother has a point over a point a game. Only 36 players put up a point a game or better last season. There's already over 50 of them doing it. Yes, it's only eight games in, so sample size is really small, but it, it just seems like there's more points to be had. Like even, even just looking at fantasy, there are players who I'm like, oh, you're putting up a point like every night. You're probably like top 40 in our league and they're like 80th. I'm like, where are all these points coming from? I think just, Goal scoring is obviously up, but individual players are racking up points. And who's the one individual player going off that is fueling your fantasy team? My great friend. I just sound like Donald Trump. My great friend. Uh, <laughs> Jack Hughes. This guy's ridiculous. He's 18 points in seven games. Like he's. We'll start it off hot. Crazy. We'll start it off hot. Is Jack Hughes a top five player in the NHL right now? Right now? Like right this, this right, minute? Right now. Yes. Okay, if you're drafting a team moving forward right now, you have the first overall pick, is Jack Hughes going within the top 10? If I'm starting a franchise now? Yeah. Absolutely he is. Because he's, what, 22, 23? He scored 40 last year. put up like 90-something points. He's going to put up over 100 points this season. He's already 20% of the way there. He's ridiculous, and if you want to take cap hit into account, which too, we are, which we are, he makes eight million for another what seven, eight, seven, six, seven years. Yep, that's already the best contract in the league. Never mind in five years when the cap's like a hundred million. Yep, this guy's unbelievable. Like, and he, his rise is every year he's taken like a huge step. He went from like this what sixty five to like an 85, 90 point player. This year he's gonna take a step to a 100-point player, and that, that jump from 90 to 100 is probably harder than that jump from 65, 70 to 90. I agree, and he started off as a quote-unquote bust. Do you remember those times yeah. when people were saying yeah. he was terrible? He is a lock for 100-plus points, 40 goals now. Like That's his floor. That's what it looks like yeah. it is going to be. And yeah, like I, I don't, as a 22-year-old, he has to be 
a top 10 player in the NHL right now, if we're looking at it from the perspective of like future growth and age, and we're taking that into account, like right now, if I'm trying to win a cup for next year, there is still a conversation that he's within the top 10. He's probably eighth to like 15th right now. But if I am starting a team right now and I have, you know, I'm taking that into account with cap hit, he's going within my top five. You said he has the best contract in the league. It's either him or Makar. Like which one are you, which one are you taking? Probably Macar. There's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer. Because Makar is the best defenseman in the league at nine and a half, getting you probably 27 to 30 goals and 85 points with good defensive play. And Jack Hughes is at one and a half million less than that, which you can use that for like a good third line player. And he's going to give you 125 points and 55 goals a year. It's ridiculous. Like that, that team and that contract was one that started the trend for all these 8x8s. I think all of them are going to turn out really, really well, but this is the one that's going to that's gonna be the best. Who was the, who was the guy that signed them? Because he should have won the, he should have won the GM of the year. Yeah. year. I think if Tom Fitzgerald was there at the time, like that's their GM now, if it, I think it was him. I mean, crazy deal. And he's got Meyer, he's got Brad, he's got Heischer, he's got Dougie, he's got, you name it. Luke Hughes, Luke he's got Hughes. Simon Nemich. Like this team looks good. Yeah, he's and he's been he's been the architect of that whole team. So I mean, kudos to him. If they if they win a president's trophy this year or something, maybe they might be too far gone to do that now because there's a bunch of undefeated teams. But like he he probably does have a GM of the year in his future um, because he's built a great team. And Jack Hughes is good defensively too, is he not? I don't actually know, but I don't think he's a liability. And when you're putting up 125 points, you can be, but I don't think he is. So let's um. On, while we're talking about Jack yeah. Hughes, let's do a little Jack Hughes would you rather. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be naming guys, and we're just going to say for the next two to three years to win a cup, are you taking these guys mm-hmm. or are you taking Jack Hughes? Take okay. into account what Jack Hughes is now and how he continues to take steps, what he can become. Okay. Jack Hughes or David Pasternak? Oh, man. That's really tough. I'm going to take Jack Hughes. Because I think he's almost just as good of a goal scorer. He's a better playmaker. He's younger and he plays a more important position. I think I'd rather build my center around a 50, 115 point center than a 60 goal scorer, 100 point winger. I like it. Number two, Jack Hughes or Miko Rantanen? For, this, for the same reasons, I'm actually I'm going to go with Jack Hughes. I do think Miko has a, a lot to his game in terms of playmaking that Pasta maybe doesn't. Pasta is a very good playmaker too, don't get me wrong. But for the same reason, because Jack Hughes is maybe even equal to Tarantino, and I think he has the potential to get even better. I'll take Hughes. And just a little quick plug here: like, think of the guys we're just we're ranking yeah. him against. This is ridiculous. Sign. We're going to continue going here: Jack Hughes or Sidney Crosby. Oh, for the next two to three years, who would I rather have? Oh man! If you would have asked me like a year ago, I would have said Crosby. Because Crosby had a 100-point season. He's Sidney Crosby. But now that he's like 36, 37, and Jack Hughes is maybe just as good as him already, I'm going to have to go Hughes. But Crosby's Crosby. No wrong answer there. Jack Hughes or Mitch Marner? Wow. I think, okay, based on the fact that I took Hughes over everybody that just went and I'm about to take Marner, I can smell the comments (laughs) flaming me. But I'm going to preface it by the fact that um, Marner is still young. He's got a lot to his game. He's better defensively than the other two wingers that came up so far. He, yep. I think he does more for his team than the other two do, aside from offense. Uh, and I think that means a lot when you're trying to win a Stanley Cup. So I'm going to go Marner. 
I know I'm going to get hate for that, but... Selkie candidate, 100-point yeah. player, virtually. Okay, we'll give you two more. Matthew Kachuk or Jack Hughes? Ooh. Wow. Oh, man. I think Kachuk. I think Kachuk because I think you can say they're... the. They break. They're they're even in the regular season. Kachuk is ridiculous. But when we saw Kachuk do in the playoffs last year, it's unlike what we've seen a winger do in the playoffs for a really long time. He like almost single handedly dragged that team, him and Bobrovsky, to a Stanley Cup final. Um, and he's so young, and so I think he has that playoff pedigree. Give me um, Matthew Kachuk for the next two to three years. Okay, and last one, a guy that has Stanley Cup experience under his belt we know can get you 50 in a rocket. We know can put up 120. Built to win a playoffs. Nikita Kucherov or Jack Hughes? Oh, I knew this one was going to come. I knew it. I knew it. Um, it's a good comparable. It is. They're very similar in the way that they play. I think Kucherov is a little greasier and a little you know nastier than, than Jack Hughes is, and that means a lot in the playoffs based on just the way the game is played. But given that Kucherov is you know a little injury prone and he's aging, I'm going to take Jack Hughes for the fact that he's younger, has stayed healthy, Ooh. and has a little bit more room to grow. We know what Kudrov is. Who knows if Jack Hughes in the next two to three years can be better than what Kudrov is today. Yeah, I agree. So I'll take it. But I mean, those are all tough. Like, there's no wrong answers. I can smell the comments. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what they're going to say. It's just crazy to me that four years ago, we were talking, not we, we knew that this wasn't. Yeah, we were, we were willing to be patient. Four years ago, people were calling Jack Hughes a bust, a yep. bust. And now we're comparing him to. All the guys I just named to you are top 15 players in the NHL. And you took him over a lot of those guys. And I also would have taken him over those guys. And he's not even finished developing yet. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Like, Be patient with your first overall yes. picks. They're first overall picks for a reason. Yes. Okay, we only have like maybe five to ten more minutes left. But I have a question for you. Sure. I was looking at this top ten players list, like top ten scoring list. And yes, it's early. But there's only one Canadian on that list right now. Hmm? And the top three are American. Who's the Canadian that's on that list? Is Tavares. It, it's Tavares. It's Tavares. Obviously, Mc, McDavid's hurt, so that might be a little bit different. But there's no McKinnon, no McCarr, no ex-really good Canadian player. But Marner in that conversation. Like, this reminded me, like, every time we have a conversation about best on best, I think a lot of Canadians, and understandably so, are, like, default Canada's going to win the gold. Like, the rest of the team suck. When I see this list, I see three Americans, I see a Finn, I see a Russian, I see two Swedes, I see a Czech player. Like, the feel like the last time we saw best on best was what 2016. It's been almost 10 years since we've seen best on best, and the field has gotten exponentially better. Yeah, I really heading into the next um best on best, <clears throat> Russia probably won't be in it for reasons unrelated to hockey, but I don't know if the if Canada is a slam dunk to even make the gold medal game anymore slam dunk they're they're i don't even know if they're the best team in the world anymore and i remember yeah. we posted this on tiktok and i got blamed for people have this preconceived notion based off of history that when you think best team in the world the answer is canada mm -hmm. but that's not so true anymore if you compare the canadians to the americans first of all in net it is not even close, close. three of the top i would say six goalies in the world are all American. Mm -hmm. Connor Hellebuck is better than any single Canadian goalie that we have. You look at it defensively as well. I know the best defenseman in the world is Canadian mm -hmm. in Kale McCarr. Yeah. But when you're looking at, first of all, Adam Fox, Charlie McAvoy, help me out here. Um, Jake, is, Jake Sanderson, Jake, if you want to is take Is Slavin him. there as well? Slavin's American. We're missing big time yeah. defensemen as well here. The Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes as well. The defensemen on the Americans 
I would say are relatively equal because I remember that when the Canadians, we had those mock drafts for like potential Olympic teams for Canada. A lot of analysts were talking about that the Canadian defensive core is kind of bleak after the first two guys on that team, right? It's very top heavy. And the big thing that always would have separated Canadians from, you know, Americans and from the rest of the hockey world in general was offensively, we were, you know, Mm -hmm. probably the best team in the world. Right now, we would probably feel the best Canadian offensive hockey team in the world. Notwithstanding that, the American starting nine for offense is, is incredible. Like Austin Matthews, we're talking about Jack Hughes being up there too now. Jason Robertson, we're talking about there too now. Matthew Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk, both Kachuks. We're talking about Kyle Connor probably being on your fourth fourth line scoring you 40, 45 goals a year. Debrinket and Larkin now are ridiculous. Johnny Goudreau might not even make that team anymore. There's other big time players. JT Miller is going to be there too. Right? So regardless, even if you want to say, even if you want to say that the Canadians are slightly better offensively than the Americans are, I think they can compete offensively in net we're terrible and yep. defensively we're even what that means is we are 100% not a slam dunk anymore it is you know to answer your question it's pretty on par and i think it would be really good for the world to see a best on best yep, absolutely and then even take like the the finns are always meddling every 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 competition that they play if it's olympics with not nhlers if it's world juniors if it's the ivan helenka gretzky under 18 whatever they're always meddling they have elite forwards and elite players all over the ice in this league in the nhl and then the, the swedes the swedes are the swedes nylander brat Pedersen, you name it they're forsberg like they're just unreal defensively they're unbelievable defensively too. they're always unbelievable yeah we're talking about carlson and Deline being carlson, your first Deline, pair Hedman. Hedman's gonna be on your second pair like come on listen no it's it's crazy I don't, I don't think it's good for the game yeah it is and i think it would help the game grow a lot if the nhl got their head out of their ass and actually let it happen i agree um, and I, it, what was funny is that we had a lot of like old time hockey fans in our comments on that video that we posted who immediately said yeah. i'm taking canada yeah. over everybody and proud canadians if you look at the rosters we are i still think just because like top heavy talent we have three of the best five players in the world on our team yeah we're probably i would say the favorites to win yeah. but it's minus 110 like it minus close. 115 yeah. it is not what it used to be in the back of the day where we were gold medal or like bust ultimate fail yeah right like this isn't the the 1990s dream team that like you know in the nba americans yeah. equivalent to canadians it's not like that anymore and it's it's better this way it's better for it the is. game it's sucks because we're gonna see canada win less often but as far as the game is concerned yeah the states are coming fast and the rest of europe is not far behind yeah so with that that's just us hoping the nhl can get their act together and get us some best on best but um we talked about a lot more for an hour and 50 that might be our longest episode we said we wanted to be under two hours we did it that's right we did it just exactly under two hours so uh thanks for making it this long if you did uh we'll see you in a couple of weeks see you soon Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review podcast. We'll see you all next week.